Hello and welcome to Baka Banter, a podcast about all things anime and otaku culture. My name is Ravi and I'm joined by the lad who clearly doesn't love Pochita enough to buy the newly released plushie, Yanatan. Do you want to say hi, Yanni? <laughs> I literally texted you earlier today because Kido Kaniya tweeted out that at their New York store, they have a bunch of new Chainsaw Man merch. And of course, there's a very cute Pochita plushie. And I was like, I'm so sorry. We have to move the recording. I must immediately beeline it to Kido Kaniya to get this. I still might go. <laughs> You should go. I, still might go. I mean, it'd be really cute. You were looking for that for a while, right? I remember at Anime NYC, I was looking for a QB plushie for you. And even though we found one, it was a little out of our budget because they get really expensive for yeah, some reason. The only one we found was like really large, I think. And that's why it was like weirdly expensive. And like, I don't need a large QB plushie, but I'd totally get like a little Pochita or a little QB plushie or something. Also, at Kinukunia in New York right now, I'm pretty sure they have like honkai standees so i might just also just pop up and take a photo with them or something like that which one are you gonna get i don't know i don't know well you can't buy them they're like the big cutouts you know oh you're just gonna go stand with yeah. them you're just gonna pose yeah. like you know put <laughs> exactly. your next profile yeah. picture that's so you're gonna be like that guy we saw at the convention that just takes them and just no, walks out absolutely not <laughs> All right, so let's get into the news because we have a lot to cover, mainly because Anime Japan was this past weekend. I forget. The timeline's always weird when we're recording and releasing episodes, but a week from this recording was Anime Japan, so a lot of studios and productions had their big announcements. So we're going to talk about that. I'm going to do the other non-Anime Japan news first, and then we'll do all the Anime Japan stuff. So very first thing that I know you are excited for, the first preview for solo leveling got released. It's getting delayed to winter 2024 because Aniplex, A1 Pictures, is just continually a mess for the foreseeable future, I think. But I think you're still pretty excited for it. Yeah, I'm glad they at least did that as opposed to another like near automata situation. Don't speak too soon. Because I feel like... <laughs> what? Don't speak too soon. <laughs> I feel like the level of hype for solo leveling is going to be leagues beyond what we saw for near automata. For Nier, there are a ton of people that were really excited for it, a ton of fans of the original game. As soon as we heard that it was going to get delayed, everyone was like, oh shit, this really sucks. But I didn't feel like there was that much backlash against the delay. I feel like if that happened to something like solo leveling, the anime community, by which I mean a ton of teenage boys, would <laughs> absolutely lose their minds. Have you read solo leveling? I can't remember if you've read it or not. Yeah, actually, that's the only manhwa I've ever checked out. Yeah, what I've heard is that the art style is what's really, really kind of the big selling point. So I'm interested to see if they're going to be able to capture any of that in the anime. The art not. style is so good. And the fights look really, really good. I think we've had this conversation offline, but I was like, how can I ever read manga now that I've seen this level of literature in color i feel like the color adds so much to it and then we read fujimoto's one shots and i was like oh wow this still looks really good but when i think about solo leveling i am just i am blown away by that art yeah it'll be interesting to see if that translates at all to the anime or not all right we got an another announcement that an anime called undead girl murder farce yes that's actually what it's called it's coming summer 2023 so pretty soon here the only reason that's notable is because it's being directed by mamaru hatakayama who is the director for both kaguya and for rakugo so he's worked on a lot of stuff that i really really like that kind of shows a level of creativity and direction so 
I don't know what the fuck that's going to be about given the title or if it's going to be any good, but it'll be on the list of things to check out for the summer. Then we got two more sequel announcements. So Urusei Yatsura is getting another season, season two in 2024. Somehow, for some reason, David Productions just like... And you're going to watch it. We could go back to JoJo's, but we won't because everybody wants this instead. Because you're going to watch it. It's up in the air if I'm going to watch it or not. But I mean, as everybody that listens to the podcast knows, despite it being terrible, I did enjoy season one for a variety of reasons. And then we also got the announcement that My Hero Academia season seven is coming. Somehow we're on season seven of that already. I think we've both been off of My Hero Academia for a while now. I watched season five. I think you watched season four. You have claimed you're going to get back into it at some point, but clearly Bones is just going to adapt the whole thing, which I guess is great for My Hero Academia fans. Yeah, when I said that, I was actually meaning sooner rather than later, and I have been planning to pick it up, actually. I feel like in the last few weeks, it's kind of been a slump for me in terms of what to watch. I even asked you for recommendations a number of times. I started watching some things you had recommended, and I was like... Yeah, let's see if I'm going to finish this. <laughs> I started watching Girls Last Tour, and at the same time, I was like, all right, let me also start watching some of the seasonal stuff I missed, like the Yuri Isekai, whose name I cannot remember right now, yeah, it, because it's some light novel name that's like 20 <laughs> words long. And so now I'm just watching a bunch of random things all mashed together. Now you know how I feel. My hero, <laughs> my hero might be one of them. Yeah, but you do this on purpose. <laughs> I'm just doing this because I'm like, I don't know what I want to watch, and so I'm just watching a bunch of shit. Yeah, fair enough. All right, speaking of seasonal stuff, Trigon Stampede got an announcement that the quote-unquote final phase is coming out quote-unquote soon after the last episode aired. So we got like 12 episodes for the first part of Trigon Stampede, and I think everybody's just assuming we're getting another full core or something very similar to that. So I really enjoyed Trigon Stampede, and I don't think it's perfect, but some of the animation was really, really good. I think the story is compelling enough that I'm glad we're going to get more about the world and more about the narrative and something that's hopefully a little bit more complete. So I'm really, really excited for that to wrap up and actually get a full adaptation. It was nice to see the positive reactions to the season two announcement. It's just because we haven't heard anything about Trigun Stampede for months now, ever since the release when people were like, oh man, we're really excited for this. And excitement immediately dropped off when a bunch of the community saw that it was being done in the style that's unique to Studio Orange, which is a lot of the 3D CGI. I think it's just really flown under the radar. It hasn't made any major lists. Like Anime Trending is really missing it on every single week's list. So I didn't know what to expect from the season two announcement. And a lot of the comments on Twitter seemed really excited. So there's definitely people watching this. There's definitely people excited for it, which I'm glad about. Yeah, I think it's a minority, but you know, we are both in that minority and we're both enjoying it. So it's good that it is continuing. Speaking of sequel announcements, of fucking course, Blue Lock is getting a season two. And not only that, it is also getting a spinoff movie, which we were both announced. Hell yeah. After, stop that. Which we were both announced after the airing of the last episode of the first season. We talked about Blue Lock a lot on this podcast, but I guess it is popular. So I'm not that surprised that it's getting a continuation. Listen, if you're going to adapt it, adapt all of it. It's always my <laughs> philosophy. Same thing goes for Devil is a Part-Timer. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Last two pieces of non-anime Japan news. So Scott Pilgrim anime, which was announced a while ago, is now confirmed to be done at Netflix by Science Saru with a lot of the original English VA cast doing the dubbing for it. I assume they will also dub it in Japanese, but 
I don't think we've actually heard anything about that. You actually, when we were talking about this, said you hadn't seen the original Scott Pilgrim movie, so you have no like attachment to it, right? This is one of those where I can't remember if I've seen it or not. It came out a while ago. It's a long like, time ago, yeah. Yeah, and so it might have been one of those movies I saw on TV and just like didn't actually register it when I was in high school or something like that. Yeah. It, what, did it come out in high school for I us? I think it was around the time when we were in high school. or Yeah, I think it must have been high school. Yeah, we're dating ourselves, but I think it was around high school and just must have been one of those ones where it was on TV. Like, I remember the style yeah. for it. I just don't know anything that I mean, happened. I mean, it has that very distinct editing style, which we saw, yeah. I think, to much greater effect in Everything Everywhere All at Once. So it does have that kind of like feel to it. And I think a lot of people were talking more about it, given how successful Everything Everywhere All at Once was this year. I'm definitely not a Scott Pilgrim fan, so I don't have like any kind of attachment to the movie or seeing it in quote unquote anime form. I think it is interesting to continue to get these like co-productions that are like Western material being outsourced to Japan for the stylization. So we'll have to see how that kind of all shakes out. Because it's Science Saru, I will probably give it a watch, but we'll see. So it's the second time you've brought up this idea about the Japanese dub. Would you watch that in preference to the English dub, even though it's the original voice actors doing the English dub? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Why? I Well, first of all, I think given that it's hopefully going to be done in a style that is consistent with Science Saru's other stuff, I will probably just prefer it, and I assume they will get top-level VAs for it from Japan as well if they do dub it. On top of that, the original voice actors, you know, we've had this discussion before as well. They're not actually voice actors. Like, they're just the actors from the movie doing voiceover, and I'm sure some of them will be good at it, but I don't have, like, a strong attachment to the original cast to where I'd prefer watching that. But I guess it's good for people that do. Yeah, that's interesting because I thought the argument that you'd use for watching Japanese as opposed to English dubbing was that it's the original content no. for a lot of anime. No, I don't care about that. <laughs> I'm just used to it. You just and I think like that it. the Japanese yeah. sounds better. I'm just okay. used to it. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I don't even know if I would say it objectively sounds better. I think it's just what I'm used to. Yeah. Would you listen to a cartoon that's Japanese dubbed? Like if they dubbed SpongeBob, I'd probably listen to SpongeBob in English. Yeah, I don't know why, but that, again, I'm used to that. <laughs> like I grew up with that. So. <laughs> anyway, interesting. And finally, uh, very recently, the Kaguya-sama movie that we got to see in theaters is now streaming on Crunchyroll and I don't know where else internationally, at least in the U.S. here on Crunchyroll. So we knew that was going to happen, <laughs> given that they even had the little interchapter. I don't know what they call the little transitions in the movie itself. Like I didn't even bother editing them out. It seems to be just the direction that the anime industry is going now, where all these movies are going to be just cut up for TV, which... I mean, I guess it's good for people that couldn't make it out, especially for a smaller scale release like Kaguya. Like now they'll be able to see it. There is a new OP and ED that now have visuals. So they had the music in the movie, but not the opening and ending fully animated. So those are very cute. And if you didn't get a chance to check out the movie and you're a Kaguya fan, now you can actually go do that. And I think we both recommend doing it. I think you agree with me that this is just a frustrating trend within the industry that we're doing both of these. And now I have to watch both forms of content, both paying like $26 or however much it costs to see a movie here in New York, which is fucking insane yeah. at baseline, and then also spend the time to watch the show. And this is purely just a gripe because we both have limited time. I don't want to have to watch both of them. And if you're going to do something like this, at least adapt it so that there's going to be new content in something like the anime. Demon Slayer did that for like two episodes of the fucking Mugen Train yeah. arc, which I think had some slight original content. It had, but then it the, had the, the first the first the episode was original 
to the series and then everything else yeah. was basically it recut without yeah. that much added content i mean my opinion on this is slightly different actually so like i i i, I dislike the trend because it feels like again a cash grab where you could just release it for tv and instead because demon slayer was so successful like now everybody wants a piece of the movie revenue so they're gonna try to take stuff that would work in the tv format and just scale it up without actually thinking about what it means to make an anime movie so that's why it frustrates me i'm not gonna watch the tv version of the kaguya movie and the demon slayer one really I, yeah the demon slayer one i only watched because my partner was watching it for the first time and hadn't seen mugen train in theaters so then i was just kind of around <laughs> while it was playing and kind of absorbed it again but yeah like if they don't add new content i'm definitely not re-watching it unless i'm just doing a rewatch or something like that. i feel like you can only do that because you've also read the manga for it versus me my fomo is going to prevent me from not watching it because then i'm like but you've already seen it what if i miss something <laughs> but you know it's the same yeah but i don't know if there's any additional content and also there's a huge difference for me with like even if i had read the manga i'm like i definitely want to just see it adapted with the voice acting and the, the but what if okay what if someone the... guaranteed for you like what if i watched it and i was like there is no new content i can confirm it for you then would you feel okay if you it? did that for me then i would be like yes i'm just gonna what skip if this. reddit user 9783 confirmed that for you would that work dude reddit <laughs> user fucking 973 probably thinks fucking ivermectin cures covid so like <laughs> i can't base anything on reddit users out here Okay, so it needs to be a trustworthy source, is what you're saying. <laughs> All right, so let's get into the Anime Japan news now. We'll try to move through this as well. So the first announcement that actually came out of Anime Japan was one that some people might have missed, which is that shoujo manga Oku, The Inner Chambers, is getting an anime adaptation at Netflix Studio Dean. I only know about this manga. I think it's actually pretty well known and pretty well regarded amongst shoujo communities, and that's because actually Colleen, who was a guest on the podcast obviously knows a lot about shoujo and jose manga. It's one of her favorites and one that she's recommended multiple times on her channel. I have no idea what to expect of this adaptation given the Netflix Studio Dean partnership, but the more we can get shoujo adaptations done, the better I think that will be for the industry. So hopefully this will turn out to be a good one given that people seem to really like the source material. Okay, then we got... The big Jujutsu Kaisen season two news, which was the preview that everybody on the internet lost their minds to. Of course, that came with the announcement of the series director debut by Goso, who has worked so far only as an episode director on stuff like Ranking of Kings 21, stuff like um, Chainsaw Man 8, I think. So it's cool to see him get a shot to direct a full season. You also liked the preview, I presume. Yeah, I'm really excited for the preview. It's funny that my partner isn't really that into the anime news space. Like, I only really got into the anime news space ever since you started telling me this shit. And so I showed the trailer to her, and she's like, that looks so different. And I'm like, yeah, it looks really different. It has a new director. And she's like, you don't think it looks worse? And I was <laughs> like, oh, interesting. Okay, why do you think it looks worse? And then we had like a 10-minute conversation about why it looks different and whether that's better or worse. And I feel like, at least for me, when I was watching it, she is very right that it looks extremely different. The clothing very style, different. the animation, yeah. the design for all the characters look different from what we saw in season one. And so we do have yet to see whether or not that's going to impact the rest of the story and how that's going to impact the visuals. I don't know. Jujutsu Kaisen for me has always just been like another 
slightly better shonen, battle shonen. So it's never really done anything for me that's like, oh my god, this show is amazing. It's just a good battle shonen. Yeah, I mean, Park directed season one, and I think he definitely excels at the action and fight choreography, and that was definitely on display in multiple parts of season one. So we'll have to see how that loss kind of affects it. Given Gasso's previous work, I hope we'll be okay on the action side. What Park wasn't so good at was like kind of the rest of the direction in the animation, and not just Park, kind of the rest of the team that worked on Jujutsu Kaisen season one. The animation kind of standardly looks kind of overcomplicated and it has that it's probably the worst offender one of the worst offenders of that mappa like sepia filter that goes all over a lot of their productions and i think what people at least on the sakuga side of things really really liked about the trailer is that they clearly simplified all of the character designs and all of the clothing and hopefully that makes for a lot of like easier time animating and doing cool things with different perspectives during a show especially with some of the upcoming arcs supposedly including really really difficult scenes to animate so people are excited about that from the way the show will move and i think on top of that people appreciated the color palette just kind of being brighter and like a little bit more inviting to look at so we'll of course have to see how it actually looks in the show itself but i'm i'm hopeful for it i think that this is one of those times where the the praise may be a little bit overblown because Park's work in season one was already fantastic in the fight choreography. And that's where for a battle shonen, it really matters. Like no one really cares about the time where they're just standing around and chatting about the fucking upcoming fights. No one cares about that. Everyone cares about the fucking clapping dude doing the tag team duo with his name Ichigo. What the fuck is his (laughs) name again? Sure. (laughs) I don't even fucking know his name. Whatever. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> I think Ichigo is fucking... It's not Ichigo. It's, 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 it's Bleach. Bleach. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Whatever. Fake Ichigo. Uh, <laughs> Everyone cared more about the fight choreography in those scenes. I mean, those fights it's won, Yuji, like, by best the way, fight. <laughs> oh, whatever. The, the, those fights won best fights of that season and the year in the Crunchyroll Awards. So... I, I don't think we can go back and just malign Park for being like, oh, man, the direction wasn't that fantastic when everyone at the same time is saying this is amazing fight choreography. I think what will happen in this season and what we saw in the trailer was already the little stylistic parts to direction with the framing of the shots, the camera placement in the shots that's really made Gosso stand out, even in shows like Chainsaw Man. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll have to see how that how that goes and it's coming out fairly soon so we'll get an answer to how the the show actually looks okay moving on fate strange fake got an update that's now scheduled for july 2nd not much else but that was supposed to come out last december and now it's coming out in july as a special episode so i think we're both excited to check that out especially after some of the promo material we got to see it at anime nyc so good to see that i guess finally coming out you know, every time you've said Heavenly Delusion, I've thought you were saying Fate Strange Fake. Why? And so then I don't know why. And then so when <laughs> I actually saw some of the shots, I know. I know when I saw some of the shots from Heavenly Delusion, I was like, this isn't Fate. And then I was like, oh, this is a different show. Okay. All right. Perfect. Perfect. This is why we have a podcast. All right. So the piece of news from Anime Japan that I know you were most excited about was that Horimiya is actually getting another anime. It's called... Let's fucking go! <laughs> it's called, I'm so excited for this. It's called Peace because it's going to adapt parts of the manga that didn't make it into the TV series, and it's coming out this July, so fairly soon. I was up late because I'm usually up late, like looking at Anime Japan news, and I was like, oh, man. Ravi's asleep already, I think, but when he wakes up in the morning, he's just 
He's going to be so happy. And indeed, you were so happy. I fucking lost it. This is one of those things that you would never expect to get any type of continuing material. Like, in season one, they adapted basically all that they had to adapt. And I think that was pretty clear that they weren't going to do any type of follow-up, considering they speed ran the relationship in a good way, I think. Like, the relationship progressed very quickly. And then the rest of the season was basically just side plot with random other characters forming relationships. And I was like, okay, at the end of this, there doesn't really seem to be any continuation. So that was the one time I actually went and looked at some of the source material to see what the fuck happened. And I was really excited to see that, yeah, the the relationship progresses in, in a very meaningful way. And to now have other content being adapted that can hopefully show those parts from the manga, I'm so excited for that. So I'm, I'm also like looking forward to this. I do have to say, I hope this doesn't become a trend because we also got an announcement that Quintessential Quintuplets, which I have not seen, but it's kind of doing the same thing where they just had a movie and then they kind of rushed through a bunch of the stuff in the movie and then are doing a follow-up season to like fill in gaps. I really hope that doesn't become a trend where production committees are like, you know, we can cram everything into one season, give everybody a quote-unquote definitive ending and like rush through everything. And then if it makes money, we'll like go back and do more of the content that should have just been planned out originally. Like, I really, really hope that we can continue to just get, like, well-paced things kind of throughout. But that being said, I am excited. I think for a show like Horibia, it's not as consequential because it's a lot of slice-of-life stuff, especially that they're going to go in and fill. So that's, like, I think, going to be okay. But I am worried that this might just be an incentive to keep doing things like this, which for other shows would not be as good. Yeah, I mean, right now it just seems really isolated to one genre. I feel like if you did something like that for God of High School, people have already dropped off that show so hard that no one's ever going to watch the fucking second (laughs) season. So it won't even matter. Yeah. All right, let's speed through the last few announcements. So as expected, ReZero Season 3 got announced. Somehow this is the isekai that you don't really like that much. I don't know why that is. It's just not that good. (laughs) It's okay. You know, listen, I'm not going to say fucking something like Demon Slayer about this, but it's it's a decently good isekai. I just really don't like the main character that much. Like, Subaru really just doesn't do it Subaru for me. Subaru is a fucking wanker. Yes. And then the relation... <sighs> Slight spoilers for the show, I guess. It's cringy. It it's very cringy. <laughs> but, like, the relationship with... with Who's the blue-haired girl? Ray? Rem? No, Rem. <laughs> They're all they're all like the same fucking name. I mean, it's like, Rem and Ram, and they're twins. That's all. Yeah, and there's who's the one from Ava? It's Ray, right? Like, yeah, but what does that have to do with anything? It was their blue-haired girls <laughs> who get shafted the entire time. So, Rem, the relationship with Rem that he has is like shoehorned into the plot so hard that you're like, what the fuck is going on? And then Emilia is like zero character development still so far two seasons in. And then the entire second plot with the fucking witches made me want to fucking gouge my eyes out. That's the only part I like. (laughs) That's because you like the one witch, bro. Like you have a fucking hard on for that that lady who has had like two minutes of screen time. I do like Echidna. Yeah, that's true. And so I just, I don't like the pacing of the show. The characters really just don't do it for me. This is weird because, like, is it better than, like, 99% of standard isekai that come out every season? Yeah, but, like, <laughs> those other isekai have elements that I enjoy, like political world building or fantasy, and, and this show just doesn't really have that. Yeah. 
Okay, Spy Family Season 2 is airing in October, and we're getting the follow-up movie, the side movie, whatever it is, in December, so maybe it'll be Christmas-themed. That is a lot of Spy Family happening very quickly, which I think, I mean, we're both big fans of Spy Family. I think we will enjoy it. It's just a lot of content being made all at once, so we'll have to see how that turns out. And then finally, two more Isekai announcements. So Devil is a Part-Timer is getting a new season somehow after the train wreck of a second season we already got. That's coming out this summer. And Mushoku Tensei Season 2 we already knew was coming out, and that is now confirmed to be coming out in July, which is also pretty soon given the other stuff that Studio Bind is doing. But I know one of us here is very, very excited for both of these. Oh, it's are you going to watch <laughs> Season 1 before Season 2 comes out? <sighs> Maybe. Don't give me that shit. <laughs> Maybe. Watch it. You know what? It's it's. This is one of those times where I'm like, I know you're just gonna watch it, and then you're just gonna fucking say the same thing you've been saying so far, which is like, oh, this is just a really problematic show, and I don't like it for that reason. <laughs> and so I'm like, all right, fine, whatever. But just watch it, so I can at least talk to you about it. All right. Because there are many elements that are highly redeeming. I, you always say that. I I'm sure that that's true. <laughs> This is like me trying to get Yanni to watch the first two fucking arcs of One Piece, and he's like a big gripe about it. <laughs> I don't have a big gripe. I want to watch it eventually. It's just there are a lot when is o- eventually? <laughs> there are a lot of other things I want to watch first. <laughs> that's always going to be true. That there's no point in your life where that's not going to be true. I am still under the illusion that one day I am going to finish my plan to watch. <laughs> yeah, and because nothing else is going to get added to that plan to watch in the next fucking twenty years. <laughs> Never. <laughs> all right that's all the news wow we covered a lot actually how long was that was that 30 minutes yeah already? it was like half an hour <laughs> perfect just run-of-the-mill standard baka banter attire good stuff so on today's episode we're going to take a break from the best of the best in a departure from the baka banter norm we're going to be giving y'all our guide to trash anime those shows that we just can't bring ourselves to call good but that we love nonetheless As in our other guides, we'll be discussing anime across a variety of categories that, for some reason, made us laugh or cry or left an impression on us enough to say that even though this show is trash, it's our trash. (laughs) So with that in mind, let's get into it. So Yanni, what anime, and you cannot pick this from our Echi episode, do you regret watching the most? That's tough. I actually don't regret watching the Echi because we got a great episode out of it, and I felt like I came to understand you more as a close friend, so I think that was wow, very worthwhile. Wow, that's on record. <laughs> I'm going to say that Yanni has said on record that he doesn't regret watching Echi. Um, it's hard to say off the top of my head. I think it would be something like... Something like Nagatoro or along those lines of like recent, yeah, I guess Blue Lock. One of those kind of recent seasonals that I have like hated. Things like Rent-A-Girlfriend or Girlfriend-Girlfriend, like really, really bottom barrel trash, but not trash that I enjoyed at all, just like straight up trash. If you go back and listen to our kind of first impressions episode, I think those are like scattered in there. And those are the ones that I'm like, why did I waste my time with this? Oh, Shikimori is another one, even though I intentionally went back and finished that because I'm a weird completionist. <laughs> I mean, you watched me finish that and actually faced it multiple times. 
I also realized I got to ask you the same question, but on the last episode, I did say we were going to have a guest on. We are still going to have a guest on (laughs) ideally next episode, but we replaced that with something else. A lot of times we do have to reschedule with guests. That's totally fine. But I feel like the reason that this happens is because every time a guest confirms that they're interested in coming on the podcast, I'm like super excited. I'm like, wow, some person that's cool that I want to talk to that I respect wants to come on our indie anime podcast. And I get way too excited. And I'm like, Ravi, book it for the next episode, baby. And then obviously, like, they have a schedule and like a life. And so it takes a while to like figure out exactly when they're going to come on. So anyway, hopefully that'll be next episode. Coming back to the topic, do you have a pick for a show that you actually regret watching? Yeah, there's <laughs> there's been a lot of time in my youth that I watch shows that nowadays I'm like, why the fuck did I waste my time doing that? And And I've said this multiple times to you and to my partner, but FOMO is one of those things that drives me to do things that I probably should not do. And then also makes me regret a lot of things that I have done because I'm like, damn, I could have used all that time to do other things that were meaningful. Like when I watched UFO, the entire time there, I was like, damn, why did I play so many video games when I could have been learning an instrument or been like fucking playing a new sport or doing something else with my childhood that was instead devoted to like thousands, like tens of thousands of hours fucking raging on cod or something (laughs) like that. And so, yeah, there there are so many bottom-of-the-barrel, etchy rom-com shows that I could just be like, these absolutely sucked. Like, go check the one rankings on Mal for me, and you'll see shows like Aremo, which I'm like, if I didn't have to watch the ending again, I'd be so much happier. <laughs> there's, oh, fuck, there's, there's this really shitty show. I'm actually surprised, you know, because you're kind of in the basket of, like, Aremo is actually oh. kind of good until the ending. I was like... If you had to ask me one pick that I thought was going to be on this episode, I could have sworn you were putting a rainbow in here. Really? Okay. Yeah. I will never, ever, <laughs> ever say that a rainbow is redeeming because of the ending. A rainbow is a very good fucking anime as long as you stop like four episodes from the end. And that's why I thought you were going to put it in here. But clearly that didn't make the cut. <laughs> yeah, no. That that ending made me so mad that I immediately fucking atomic bombed that ranking on Mal. Do I regret watching that? Not for 90% of it. For the rest of the 10%, yes. Yasugo no Sora. Yasugo no Sora is one of the worst things I have ever laid eyes on. It is completely irredeemable in every way. And it actually just goes full on in the incest relationship. It doesn't even go into the like, this is my non-blood related sister, like fucking half of the other shows that come out this is like this is my sibling and i am fucking her (laughs) what is going on for this entire show i wanted to fucking gouge my eyes out all right so let's get into a little bit of the motivation for making the episode before we get into are you gonna hard cut that (laughs) because that entire time when you're talking about wasting time playing video games in your childhood all i could think about was is that gonna be me in 10 years thinking about gotcha games (laughs) And I don't want to think about that more. <laughs> no, you you love that too much. I think every time... You know what? I have given you so many outs. Every fucking week you tell me about this, I'm like, hey, man, here's the fucking gambling hotline. Like, <laughs> I can help you get off of this. And you're like, nah, man, this is okay. This isn't an addiction. I love this. <laughs> I never spend beyond my means is all I'll say. All right. So back to the hard cut. Why do we choose to make this episode? So I think we both enjoy the guide format because it lets us spend a little bit of time highlighting anime that we might not get a chance to talk about otherwise. And we get to do it across a wide variety of genres and kind of make these picks throughout. So we, we did that for the gateway anime episode very early on. We did this for underrated anime picks. 
And so if you like this format and you have other guides you'd like to see where you pick things across genres, send us ideas because we like doing it. So why specifically trash? Well, in general, as you said in the intro, we like to occasionally take breaks from talking about and analyzing good anime, which we spend a lot of time on the podcast doing, to talk about stuff that is just not that good, but that maybe we still like anyways. Like, you know, in the Etchy episode, I think we did that quite a bit. In the Mal Roast episode, we spent a lot of time just talking about those low-ranking shows. So I wanted to ask you to kick off the episode. What does trash anime mean to you? How did you go about making your picks for this episode? And what, if anything, do you think kind of ties together trash that you still find enjoyable, even though you know it's trash? Yeah, so even when we were coming up with the idea for this episode, we had a discussion about whether we should name it trash anime or guilty pleasure anime. And those two things are synonymous for me. The shows that I put in my list are all shows that I don't think are good in terms of the objective criteria we usually use to judge anime. Character development, animation, sound design, plot, narrative, all of those things that we usually say need to be high across the categories for us to judge an anime as good. Trash anime may have one or two of those that are good, but the rest of them are just not redeeming enough for me to say it's a good show. And in spite of that, I still had a really good time watching it. And so a lot of the shows that you'll hear me talking about, you'll hear me talking about positively, and that's because I have to justify the reason I put it on this <laughs> list. But if you asked me any day whether this is a good show, I'd probably be like, you know what? I don't think it's a good show, but would I watch it again? Yeah, probably. <laughs> so interestingly, we actually didn't fully hash this out beforehand, and I think it's nice to kind of see sometimes what our interpretations are and if they differ for like just a question as baseline as what is trash anime. But I think we actually approach this fairly similarly. So for me, I really just picked shows, looking at each category, looking through shows that I have seen that fit that genre. And for each pick, I basically said, okay, if somebody asked me if the show is good, I would undoubtedly say that it's bad, but I still have some very specific reason why I enjoyed watching it. And I don't think there's anything that kind of ties the picks that I have on my list together other than that. But they are all just shows that I genuinely enjoyed watching. And I will kind of just fully grant that they are not good for all the reasons that you might come up with. So I don't know if this episode is going to be filled with actual recommendations, but maybe there's a chance that through the things that we enjoyed in all of our trash, maybe there'll be some trash that will appeal to people that are listening. All right. Anything else you want to say about trash broadly? Nah, man. All just right. that your taste is trash. <laughs> That's the whole point of this episode. All right. So just a quick reminder about the format. We're going to alternate making our picks across action, comedy, drama, romance, fantasy, science fiction, and wildcard as the six different genres. And then we're going to be talking about why we consider each pick to be trash as well as why we like it anyways. We haven't seen each other's picks, so all the reactions will be live on air. And we'll start right from the top with the action category. What did you pick as your trashy action show? I really wonder whether you're going to agree with my picks or not. And I think <laughs> that you will agree with most of these because either you're going to think it's just not a good show or you're just never having heard of it before. I feel like you are much more the resident trash man. <laughs> 
on this podcast. What is that supposed I, to mean? I say that lovingly. <laughs> like I'm <laughs> expecting like obscure trash that I have never heard of is what I mean by that. Whereas I actually had some easy picks and then some picks I kind of struggled to make. All right. Well, let's see if I can subvert <laughs> your expectations in the first one. So when we were planning this episode, I actually did throw around the idea that we should set a hard mal cutoff to make sure that one of us doesn't pick like fucking Steinsgate and call it trash. And I think the number I threw out there was around like 7.7, which is that general threshold on mal that we both agree separates shows that are good from shows that are bad. And I did try and stick to that, except for this pick. Because Food Wars is rated an 8.16 <laughs> on Mal. That's a great pick for action. <laughs> 1.6. As context, one of your favorite shows, Bakemonogatari, is rated an 8.3. Yeah. And my favorite show, fucking ever, Shinsekai is also rated an 8.3. And that is too fucking close. <laughs> People really like Food Wars, what can I say? Yeah, and so I, I know that people love their foodgasms, but, like, please, people, come on. Food Wars is good, but it is not that good. But it's not actually good. It's not actually good. It's rated an 8.16. Anyway, I'll stop saying that. So with that off my chest, yes, Food Wars is my pick for action anime. And before I talk about my personal connection to the show, let me give you a quick summary. So Food Wars follows Soma Yukihira, a teenage boy and sous chef at his dad's local restaurant, who dreams of one day taking over the restaurant because of his passion for cooking. However, one day his dad announces that he's going to go take his culinary skills overseas, and as a result, he's going to close down the restaurant. So he's like, fuck you, kid. You can go live on the street without me. I'm just going to go take a stint abroad. Rational. Classic anime dad. <laughs> He's no he gang also, freaks out here. But. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There, did you actually see there was this floating uh, meme on Twitter recently where people are comparing like ranking anime dads from like best to worst? We did that in a mailbag question. Somebody asked us who the best dad in anime was. Yeah, and, and for some reason, I don't even think Jing was on there. He was on there. He was 100% on there. Oh, was he on there? Yeah. Okay, I think he right. was both of our clear picks as worst dad. No, no, not in our mailbag, on this fucking oh, meme. Oh, oh, on the meme. No, I didn't see the meme. So I... I'll have to show it to you afterwards. So he also enrolls Soma before he leaves in the most prestigious culinary school in Japan, Totsuki Academy, which is famous for its intense cooking competitions and its high attrition rate. The series follows Soma as he enters Totsuki Academy and grows as a chef, using his innovative and unconventional cooking style to face off against other students at the school. So we talked about Food Wars quite a bit on our Chef PK episode because it's what kickstarted Paul's career on YouTube and also serves as a huge source of inspiration for him. And I think even there, it was pretty clear to see that we both liked this show, not because it's good in how we normally evaluate good shows, but because it was heavily influential. At its core, Food Wars is a standard battle shonen. And for anyone who thinks that's not true... Just watch Food Wars. It has every fucking archetype you see in a battle shonen. You have an OP protagonist, you have very little character development, and you have competitions where people are just classically facing off against each other. I mean, you even have a fucking, like, tournament arc. And so every element of battle shonen is represented here in this show. Soma 
the classic OP protagonist. Like, this man loses, like, fucking one time in the entire, like, three or four seasons or however long yeah, there food is wars a is lot now. of food wars. <laughs> there is a ton of food wars. And even Chef PK was kind enough to say that the latest season of Food Wars is complete trash. <laughs> and trash not in the way that, like, yeah, it's, like, gratifying. Like, I also like to watch it trash. But, like, trash as in this should never have seen the fucking sunlight kind of trash. We got to come up with a term for that. It's, like, endearing trash versus, like, Shit trash. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. I, don't, I feel like people are going to read our title and be like, oh, man, let's hear the fucking takes about what these kids hate out here. And we're going to be like, no, we love these shows. And so the cast of characters is huge in the show. Most of them are not well developed at all. And the fan service is exceptionally strong. So I actually have a story about me first watching Food Wars because I watched this in 20. 20- 18. So I watched this in 2018, and the reason I remember that is because it was the year that we took a big board exam for med school, and then we took two or three weeks off after that exam to go travel abroad in New Zealand and Australia. And so, of course, I brought my like little shitty med school iPad that they give us on this trip because I didn't want to bring my computer to like fucking Australia. And so there I am sitting on the edge of a pool. And I was like, you know what? What should I watch? I've heard a lot about the show Food Wars. And people have really been hyping it up. So let me watch this. And meanwhile, a lot of my other med school friends who I'm traveling with are around. I don't know if they know that I watch anime. I'm pretty sure they didn't know that I watched anime. And so I started watching Food Wars on the edge of this pool in, like, complete visibility. And literally in, like, the first or second episode... Some girl takes a bite of, like, fried rice and her clothes just blow off. And everyone's like, what the fuck are you watching? And I was like, listen, guys, I mean, this is not, like, normal anime. Like, do not take this as a representation of what anime is. But, like, am Wait, I having a good time? Hell yeah. Wait, so you started Food Wars without knowing that it had strong, edgy components? No, I did not know that it had any fan service, dude. I straight up was watching this being like, hey, it's just, like, a food anime. People are competing with food, like, food competitions. I mean... Food competitions are huge, even in Western media. Like, we've had Iron Chef. We've had fucking, like, Bake Offs. Great British Bake Off is a huge thing right now. And so I was like, oh, man, Food Wars is just going to be something similar. And then people's clothes start fucking coming off. And I was like, what what is going on in this show? (laughs) Anyway, so (laughs) despite all of these things, I think Food Wars is so well-liked because it's unique and it's entertaining. And for so many people, myself included... It's been instrumental in developing an interest in cooking. We've talked before about how we both have a passion for cooking because it was the environment that we were brought up in. I I remember you saying, for example, that your parents are really good cooks. And I have experienced that firsthand. Your parents are very good cooks. If you're listening to this, thank you for all the (laughs) meals you've made for me. And those meals for you, as they were for me, equated to family time. It was that time where I got to spend a moment with my family out of a busy day where we could all just share a meal around a table. And for me, that was how I thought about and how I still envisioned my mom and my grandma and a lot of my childhood. They were constantly in the kitchen. They were cooking. They were making meals for us. And I was also in the kitchen all the time at home because I would do my homework at the dinner table. And so when they'd be cooking, I'd be like five or 10 feet away at all times. I think this is important because I love to eat. And I know 
that you know that I love to eat because I am constantly thinking about food. And every time we fucking sit down to record this podcast, I'm like, damn, I'm hungry right now. <laughs> but for you me, never eats beforehand. So no, weird. I just, I just, I don't know. But you know how people like spend their money going out to shows or going out to Broadway or going out to like games or shit like that? I mean, like you, you spend all your fucking money on like gotcha games. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> I spend a lot of my money on food. The, the moments for me that are important are like when we go out as friends to like go out to eat at a place or when I go out with my partner to like go to a really nice place. And those are experiential for me. I, I really value those moments. But before Food Wars, that's really all that my interest in cuisine was. You know, I really love to eat, but I was never a frequent cook, even having grown up in close proximity to two people that cooked so often. In college, my roommates and I ate at the dining halls or we ate like the million different restaurants in New York City where you could get like a cheap meal. But then in med school, as I said, I watched Food Wars and it felt like there was this new interest that developed for me in cooking. I saw how imaginative the dishes were and it was like they were actually playing with their food and that was something that I had never really seen. And that made me want to try it myself and, and I did. So I got really into cooking. I got really into experimenting with food. I got really into the thing that Chef PK was talking about, which is playing with your food. And that's gotten me to where I am now, where I cook most nights. I really enjoy sharing the stuff that I make with you or my partner or my friends and watching them experience it. And so it's just a large part of life for me now. So overall, is Food Wars a good show? No, it's not a fucking good show. Does it deserve an 8.6 on Mel? No, it doesn't. But was it super influential for me? And do I still count it as a guilty pleasure anime? Yeah, I do. I think that's maybe the most like personal pick we might have in this entire episode because I don't have anything that personal for the trash that I like. <laughs> I do. Th I do know that I said after our edgy episode that you know edgy is just really not for me and. I don't think I'm going to watch that much more of it. And I think there are definitely exceptions to that. And Food Wars is probably eventually, at least one season of it, is going to be an exception to that. Because similarly to you, I really like cooking. I really like food. And I think when I want something that, okay, the anime community has talked about a lot. It's kind of a, a big show within the space. And I want something kind of fun and brainless to watch. I would be pretty happy just turning it on and watching it. I think that you <laughs> and Hope are actually going to have difficulty stopping at one season for this because I really think that as you see them make their dishes and the inspiration you get from what they're making, it, it's going to be really hard to stop with one season because you're going to be like, damn, I want to see what they make next. I want to see like yeah. how I can endow my own cooking with this type of excitement. I mean, if we get invested in it and we like a lot of cooking shows kind of outside of that, like Great British Bake Off and even growing up, my parents watched, especially my mom and my sister watched a lot of other cooking shows on just like Food Network or whatever it was on. So I'm sure I would like it. So I'll eventually check it out. It's going to break the the lack of edgy in my life, maybe. <laughs> all right. Is that all you got for Food Wars? That's all I got. All right. So I'm going to start off very, very, very strong with my action pick. And I am going to pick probably my biggest trash guilty pleasure show which is Prisma Ilya. <laughs> is this the one where those like two little fucking Moe girls are kissing? <laughs> I think oh, the lollies. This is, is the that. lolly show. <laughs> so for people who don't know what Prisma Ilya is, let me just give you a quick rundown of the premise. So Prisma Ilya is a fate spinoff 
where Mage's Association members Rin and Luvia are tasked with finding and retrieving seven class cards, which are artifacts that contain the life essence of heroic spirits. That sounds familiar if you know anything about fate. To aid them in their mission, they are granted the power of two sentient kaleidosticks called Ruby and Sapphire that enable them to transform themselves into magical girls and increase their abilities. Sorry, I think that anytime we go through a synopsis <laughs> for one of these trash shows, it's like fucking hilarious just hearing us talk about what these like, shows are about. Dead pat, yeah. However, the two sticks promptly abandon them because if you know anything about Rin and Luvia, they fight all the time. And they go in search of new masters, stumbling upon Ilya and Miu, who are two young schoolgirls who they eventually form a contract with. With their new powers and responsibilities, Ilya and Miyu set forth to help Rin and Luvia collect all of the class cards. So I think if there's one pick for me as a trash anime that I really like, it absolutely fucking has to be Prisma Ilya because I like Prisma Ilya a lot, <laughs> despite how bad it is. <laughs> it's a freight franchise spinoff that's set in an alternate universe, alternate timeline, so it has nothing to do with the core series, but it gives a lot of screen time to some of my favorite characters from all of the main Fate franchises, like Rin and like Ilya, and it combines that with the magical girl genre. If there's ever been a guilty pleasure anime that was just made in a lab perfectly just for me, I think it's probably this one. And yes, I did watch all three seasons and the movie that are out. <laughs> so I'll start by talking about what I like about Prismalia and then I'll get into the stuff that you mentioned <laughs> at the beginning. So in addition to what I just mentioned, we get the main concept of heroic spirits from the original Fate franchise. That's why it's in the action category. And the way that the cards work is actually cool. So they have to go around defeating various heroic spirits in order to collect their card. And once the girls collect the card, they can actually transform into whatever heroic spirits they have. So if you don't believe me that this concept is actually genuinely cool, just go to YouTube and watch the Ilya versus Saber Altar fight from like one of the first few episodes in season one. It's just a few minutes. But we get to see Ilya literally cosplay and like magical girl transform into Archer from Unlimited Blade Works. Use all of his like trace on abilities that we're like used to from that series. And then even end the fight against Dark Saber with a fucking Excalibur. It's unbelievably cool. <laughs> no one can convince me that this isn't cool. The animation, you know, it's it's not the best I've ever seen in my life, but the concept itself is very enjoyable and there are kind of lots of fights like that spread throughout the franchise where you just see like, oh, Ilya transforms into X heroic spirit that I recognize and is fighting X character from fate that I recognize. And they roughly try to keep the same characterization, which is pretty cool for anybody that likes fate. Do you know what studio did this? Because there's no fucking way that Ufotable did this. Right? No, <laughs> it is absolutely not Ufotable. <laughs> um, it's Silver Lake. So. Oh, okay, okay. That that tracks. Yeah, that, that, that it's correct. <laughs> it's appropriate. So everything I've said so far, if you know nothing about Prisma Ilya, you might just be wondering to yourself, this sounds pretty good. I mean, you said the animation wasn't that good, but it's it's a fate spinoff. It has cool characters that I might like from a different show. Concept seems cool. Why is it trash? And that leads me to getting in the main caveat for the series, which is that it has an enormous, and I cannot state enough how enormous it is, lolicon problem. <laughs> and that really, really drags it way down to the trash tier from just being like a fun, 
inconsequential fate spinoff. And I want to like really strongly <laughs> emphasize how bad this is. Not only are there constant revealing shots of Ilya and Mew and Kuro, who's another character that you meet later, reminder they're all very, very young girls. There's also constant fan service with a lot of the younger female characters looting each other and making out. And yeah, the making out portion is unfortunately very, very necessary for a specific plot point that is introduced. Don't ask me why it's necessary. It's for your enjoyment. <laughs> yeah. So do I like that part of the series? No, and it is really, really bad. I actually think very early on in the time that Ravi and I started talking about anime a little bit more regularly was very early on in COVID before we had even had the idea for making the podcast. And that was the time that I binged all of Prisma Ilya. And I remember very distinctly sending you a photo because there's a very hilarious screenshot of two of the girls, two of the magical girls, just m straight up making out with like so much tongue. And <laughs> Ilya has that like deadpan, just like shock face in the background. And I remember just sending that to you and being like, well, I hope we're still friends after this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say that of all the fucking tropes in fan service shows and in Echi, the one that I can never get behind is the lollies. I cannot stand them. It is the most infuriating part of any show for me. And when they appear in like non etchy shows, like Bisky and Hunter Hunter, or if, what's what's the girl's name in ReZero, the the annoying librarian? Oh, Betty. Betty. It is <laughs> the most annoying character for me every time. I don't mind just a character existing as a lolly, but yeah, when it's like played out for fans or something, that's where it like really gets problematic. Anyways, Prismalia is absolutely not good. I still like the fate crossover, the focus on characters that I like. I like the concept. I like some of the fights. I like a lot about the series, the magical girl aspects. The movie is actually surprisingly good because it takes a more serious tone and kind of goes away from the fanservice-y parts that are really, really bad in a lot of the series. It also has, like, the best version of Shiro in all of Animated Fate. Like, you know how Shiro just kind of fucking sucks? That's not saying in... a lot. <laughs> I know, but he's genuinely cool in Prisma Ilya. It's, like, very, very uncanny. Anyways, Prisma Ilya is absolute fucking trash, but it is my trash. <laughs> That's why I started off the episode that way. But, yeah, I have been meaning to watch this one for a long time. You're not going to like it. It just it escapes the it escapes the plan to watch every time just because I immediately remember your reaction to this and that thing that you sent me, and I'm like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> it's so bad, but it's so good at the same time. All right, that's all I have. So let's move into the comedy category. What do you have for your comedy pick? Yeah, so outside I asked you, how many of these you could guess. And I feel like if any of them you're going to be able to guess, it'd be this one. I can't guess it. So. <laughs> You'll know it immediately. So we've actually talked about this show a surprising amount on the podcast, considering how relatively niche it is compared to the other shows that we bring up again and again. I think it's because this is the only show that I've tried to watch in person with you, and that has failed spectacularly. <laughs> And that show, as you can now guess, is Prison School. Yeah. I should have guessed that. <laughs> <laughs> you should have guessed that. I have to shout out Kemi on our Discord for bringing up Prison School recently because our conversation sent me into an absolute fucking spiral of watching <laughs> clips from the show and just laughing my ass off sitting at my desk. And my partner was sitting there being like, can you shut the fuck up, please? Just like <laughs> for 10 minutes. And 
I think this show is, and I'm not being hyperbolic here, the funniest anime that I have ever seen. I haven't laughed this hard watching any other show, and that's because Prison School does so much stuff so well. It has an absolutely off-the-wall plot with hilariously unique characters being put in the most absurd situations. And by far my favorite part is the way that the facial expressions are animated. I threw one on the Discord just for the hell of it, and you also watched the first episode with me, and you got to experience a little bit of that, but... If you've never seen this show before, or you just don't even know what I'm talking about, take a second, pause the episode, and go Google prison school facial expressions, and you'll see exactly what I mean. And please come back here after that. They're fucking hilarious, and I cannot sit here not laughing about them, because just thinking about the fucking faces that these people put on is amazing. I don't want to spoil the show for anyone, Because this is an absolute must-watch for me, even though it's on my trash list. And I'm not going to even give you a synopsis so that you can actually go and experience it (laughs) firsthand. I was going to ask you if you just forgot the synopsis or if you're intentionally... No, I didn't. (laughs) It's because even me giving you the synopsis is going to spoil some of the comedy and like, the first episode. So please, just go watch this. The only thing I will say is that the poop.mp3 scene that we talked about in the Discord had me literally laughing to the point that I used to watch a lot of anime in my room, and so my parents didn't obviously see what the fuck was going on. Yeah, they didn't. And this had me laughing to... Yeah. (laughs) And this had me laughing to the point that my parents literally came to my room and knocked on it and were like, like, are you okay? Like, is everything all right? And I really quickly had to, like, switch tabs on my computer so that they didn't see me watching this, because this is definitely one of those shows that you cannot watch with your family. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. (laughs) <laughs> I was going to fire up the prison school edgy with my family. Hey, man, I don't know. I'm just giving a warning to like any friends, fans of the podcast out here who are like, yeah, you know what? A really good show to watch with my mom. Let's watch prison school. I mean, I had friends who watched fucking like, uh, like True Blood with their parents. Like, bro, that has fucking vampire sex scenes in it. <laughs> Who's going to sit there and watch that with your mom? Not me, but friends did it. I accidentally watched Borat with my mom. That was an experience. This is exactly what I mean. <laughs> this is exactly what I mean. Within the first five minutes, I would have stopped watching that movie with my mom. And Once we got to like the, the naked sumo wrestling scene, we were like, yeah, I think we should probably just That's not watch That's decently far in. I know. <laughs> But you know my mom, she's like pretty chill with whatever. But once we got to that, it was like a breaking point. We're like, we can't do this. (laughs) Damn, your relationship is strong. (laughs) And so I guess this is why Prison School is on this list, because it does its comedy so well. But it is certainly not for everybody. The fan service is over the top. I will be the first one to admit that. And that is what put you off of it, I'm assuming. And even I, sitting in my dark empty room was looking around at times being like, I really hope no one else can see me watching this because yes, this show has problematic elements to it, but it is the definition of guilty pleasure for me. Yeah. So as you mentioned, I did watch the first episode because you really wanted me to watch the first episode. So I think we were watching some movie together and then you were like, I'm just going to throw this on. And I was like, okay, yeah. And this is, is just- the only show that we've watched together in person. Oh, we watch a lot of movies. A lot of movies. We watch movies together. We've never watched a show together. Yeah, that's actually true. No, that's not true because I once similarly after we watched a movie, I just like 
I think you had to work on something and I was like, I'm just going to fire up the next episode of Haikyuu. And then, of course, you didn't end up working on anything. You just watched the episode of Haikyuu. Oh, yeah. We also watched <laughs> a couple of episodes of Yuru Camp at some point, I think. But true. we've never yeah. really like no, done anything no, with never, that content. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so I did watch the first episode of Prison School and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that someone on our Discord... Broke Boy told me that the worst take in the history of the podcast was that I didn't find prison school funny, which that can't be true. <laughs> there have been so many <laughs> bad takes on this podcast. How can a brand of humor not clicking with me be <laughs> the number one bad take? And that can't be true. But yeah, I think ultimately it's a, just a little too much in the gratuitous fan service corner and just didn't really land with me humor wise. I could see why the humor would be funny to a lot of people. The focus on facial expressions reminds me a lot of Asobi Asawase, which is a show that I almost put on here, but I didn't quite enjoy enough, I think, to put it on here. Basically, the concept is a slice of life gag show like Nichijo, but what if you took all the characters and just made them like gross little gremlins and just made them do like stupid shit, like slap each other's asses as hard as possible. <laughs> but the focus on like gratuitous kind of crude facial expressions also exists in that show. And just that humor in general just doesn't work as well for me. I wanted to ask you, are all of your picks going to be etchy? It's <laughs> only one way to find out. <laughs> we'll see you listeners in two hours. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Anything else you want to say about prison school? That's it. It's all you. All right, so my pick for comedy, I almost picked Asabi Asabase, as I mentioned, but I just think I didn't quite enjoy it enough. And so I ended up having to go with the most obvious pick for anybody that listens to the podcast, and for you especially, which is Urusei Yatsura. That's the one that <laughs> I really was convinced was going to be on here. I really didn't want to put it on here because we've talked about it a decent amount recently, but somehow like this just became my guilty pleasure watch over the course of the last few months, despite how badly I spoke about it in our fall 2022 first impressions. And I'm very upfront about the fact that it's really, really bad. And it's just full of outdated tropes, really misogynistic characters, especially the protagonist, a gag style that provides no character development. Like I know you didn't finish it. If you were hoping for any progression of the relationship between Lum and Ataru, that doesn't happen <laughs> ever. There's like maybe 10 minutes at the end of a single episode where they kind of do that, but overall, like, zero character development. On top of that, it's not even that funny, even though the comedy should be one of its main selling points. So before I say why I liked it, despite all of those things, let me just give the premise for anybody that doesn't know what Ursi Yatsura is. So aliens known as the Oni threaten to invade Earth unless a randomly chosen human wins a game of tag against Lum, who is the daughter of the Oni leader. The person selected is, of course, lustful high schooler Ataru Moroboshi, who has 10 days to somehow best Lum's extraterrestrial powers. Motivated by the promise of marriage from his childhood friend Shinobu if he wins, Ataru somehow manages to catch Lum off guard because he's, like, really horny and, like, grabs her bikini or something. Classic. Or something. Don't say or something. <laughs> he fucking rips off her fucking top. <laughs> he does do that, yeah. Lum then proceeds to misunderstand that she's the one who Ataru wants to marry, and she decides to move in with him while he constantly does his best to shake her off and reconcile with his desired fiancé. So, the version of this that I have seen is the remake done by David Production, where they basically took what they considered the best parts of the original series, the original manga, and adapted them in a modern style. So why do I like Urusei Yatsura? despite it being just straight up bad. Urusei Yatsura 
is pretty much the ideal trash show for, as Ravi would put it, a stupid anime hipster like me. It's source <laughs> material that is hugely important in the anime manga world, written by Rumiko Takahashi and launching waifu culture forward with Lum. It's beautifully remade, as I mentioned, by David Production with really, really nice animation that highlights the original, plus having a lot of really amazing music by Mason Des. I've actually even sent you a lot of the openings and endings, and they're just actually all good. Like, Those all of them are good. good. <laughs> a lot of them have gone on my like, running playlist. Yeah. They even got a Shingo Yamashita opening for the first season. So all of these elements, combined with the fact that it has literally every famous voice actor under the sun, getting to listen to Mamoru Miyano or Hiroshi Kamiya or Kana Hanazawa or Miyuki Sawashiro and tons of other famous VAs that you'd probably recognize on a weekly basis was probably the thing about the show that I enjoyed the most on top of the production value and just having a comfy, like, bad, turn-your-brain-off, nicely-produced show that you don't get very often. Does that mean I'm going to watch another season of this, as we mentioned at the outset, or that I'm going to forgive David Production for sacrificing all of the Stone Ocean staff and maybe never giving us the Steel Ball Run adaptation that we deserve? Honestly, probably not, but it's still trash that, despite all of my best intentions, I actually came to enjoy. So I would not true, recommend why, it. <laughs> why are you ambivalent about watching season two, then? Because I already feel like nothing new is going to happen, right? So if season two comes out and if I am in the mood for just listening to more of the VAs and kind of like enjoying and having a turn your brain off show, if the season is like filled with other stuff, then maybe I will continue watching it. But I already know exactly what I'm going to get and that it's not going anywhere. So I think at baseline, I'm kind of okay with already having watched like 24 episodes of it, which is way, way more than I ever intended to watch at the beginning. We'll see. I think it'll be a little bit of a of a judgment call, but I don't know why I came to enjoy it. I'm honestly surprised. There's like nothing about it other than like the production and like the kind of, I guess, industry impact of it as like a franchise that should have made me want to watch it. But it should have been a drop after like three episodes. Yeah, I feel like people, you and other listeners possibly are equally surprised that I didn't enjoy this. And this is something that I think a lot of people would have assumed that I would enjoy because it does have those harem, romance, etchy elements to it that I will be talking about a lot in this episode. <laughs> One of the things that I cannot stand within the genre is where you have a character that has a high baseline relationship with one of the characters. For example, as the guy does with his literal fiance yeah. Yeah, and Shinobu. does everything in his fucking power to still try and fuck other people. <laughs> and I cannot stand that. Like in other harems. It's really annoying. <laughs> yeah, it is. In other harems, you'll have like an equal relationship among all of the different other characters besides the main character. And that's why it's okay and entertaining for me because you're like, okay, let's see how the relationship progresses with this one character or this other character. And so you don't feel bad when they're pursuing another character. I mean, it's also Here, a waifu war thing. It's like, yes, a yes. lot of the tension is like, who are they going to pick? Right. And you, you might never get the answer, but like that is a lot of the enjoyment is getting invested in like one relationship versus another. There's right. no investment in relationships no. Here, here I like, actively get angry when he's like, oh, he's supposed to be engaged to, okay, maybe one person. Oh, now there's another girl he's engaged to, but he still is fucking looking at every other girl on the street. And I'm like, motherfucker, please, you have two women you're actively engaged to. Can you stop? I mean, Lum continually fucking Pikachu shocks him to infinity because he's like chasing after other women and like 
not actually cheating on her, of course, but trying to cheat on her. And <laughs> you're like, Lum, why why are you why do you why are you still calling him darling? Like, can we or why not, don't you just kill him? Not Please, <laughs> just one time in the chat, just fucking shock Please. him a little harder. Just kill this motherfucker. <laughs> and so I I could not stand that element of the show. The gags were okay, but it was they're not that funny. a very repetitive <laughs> thing. And so I was going to ask you, like, is this one of the shows that you're like, oh, I found funny in the, like, I found Kaguya funny and was actually laughing? Or is this, like, no. I find this funny no, as, like, no, you write them no, no, all no. and you're just stone-faced staring no. at it? No, so it's not, like, Kaguya I genuinely find funny. And, like, Konosuba, similarly, that's, like, humor that I genuinely like. Konosuba has some gags that I find much less funny. I think that's something like Nichijou where, like, I like a lot of the gags. And then some of the gags, I'm just like, that was really fucking weird. Like, why did that, why did that happen at all? But those shows I all like because at least a lot of it I found funny even if some of that stuff misses in some of them there is like very very few times i actually laughed so it is actually just a mystery why i like the show <laughs> i can't explain it to you but i watched all of it and i did actually enjoy it so i don't know i think i need to make a plot with like number of names you've dropped and enjoyment of the show and i think that line <laughs> is going to be fucking the straightest line i've ever seen in my life perfect correlation <laughs> all right Let's move on to our drama slash romance category. What etchy have you got on a plate for us this time? Damn, man called it. <laughs> so, you know how when you finish a really good show, you're left with this feeling of emptiness that you really want to fill by just watching other similar shows? That's what yes. happened after I watched Origairu. And don't worry, Origairu is not my pick. So I would be upset. <laughs> I knew you would be upset. I, I did say that the Food Wars pick was the only one that's rated above a 7.7. .7, so I think Origairu is definitely rated higher than that. But the show that I used to fill the void, Haganai, is. What the fuck is that? <laughs> Haganai, I don't have many friends, is a show that follows Kodaka Hasegawa, who transfers to a new high school determined to make new friends. However, because of his blonde hair and dead fish eyes, wait, no, that's actually Hachiman. Kodaka gets immediately labeled as a delinquent. You're making a face right now. Yeah, I'm just trying to look at what the fuck this show is. <laughs> just at least listen to my synopsis. <sighs> However, because of his blonde hair, Kodaka gets immediately labeled as a delinquent, and his dream of making friends slowly fades. Sorry, this that's looks so trash from the visuals. <laughs> it is not good. <laughs> That's until he meets fellow loner Yozura Mikazuki, who decides that the two should start a club together known as the Neighbors Club, where eccentric people who need help making friends can fit in and learn social skills together. And if that sounds familiar, that's because Origairu also did that. And so they do. And as the club begins to accumulate these eccentric people, Kodaka finds himself making the friends that he had hoped for. Now, as I said... Haganai is like if you took a worse copy of Oerigairu and blended it with a worse copy of Haruhi and then added a whole bunch of ecchi to it. <laughs> the plot and characters pale in comparison to Oerigairu's, but there was just something that I found really entertaining about watching these oddball characters learn what friendship really is and how friends accept you for who you are, quirks and all. I thought the comedy in the show was a lot of fun, and the harem romance was done decently well to the point that I actually wanted to keep watching it, and I wanted to see how it ended. And that's something that's big for me in these romance harems. It's like, again, if there's a lot of options, you want to see who's going to win out. And you need to know thing, if you won or lost. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
And this is the thing that every fucking anime blue balls you on. Like, no fucking anime ever finished the romance. There are so few that do things like Origairu that those are like the pinnacles within the field. They're like, oh my god, you gotta go watch the show because someone actually won. Unfortunately, in Haganai, that doesn't happen. And that's because the main character is a fucking piece of shit. And I will put that out there. That is one of the worst parts about the show is that the main character, in some respects, is a ton of fun to watch. In some respects, is similar to Hachiman. But then in other respects, is just like blissfully ignorant when anything romantically is starting to develop. And I hate that part of main characters. So I won't spoil anything about this other than I wanted to punch the main character in the face. That's normal, though, for harem anime protagonists. So I guess it's not that surprising. In terms of production, the show came out in 2011. The art, I know you said it looks a bit janky. The art is actually super good. It may have dated a little bit. I don't believe bit, you. <laughs> but it looks beautiful. And the opening and ending are really cute. If you're at all going to be convinced about this show, just go watch the ending. Like, you might actually just find it really entertaining. It sounds really fun. It may lead you to watch the show. If, for me, you wanted something like Origaru but just couldn't find it, Give Hagane a try. You might be pleasantly surprised. You know, I figured there was, as I mentioned, going to be some etchy on your list. I did not fully, I guess, comprehend that this was going to just be the etchy episode part two electric boogaloo. <laughs> I mean, you pegged me as a fucking trash viewer. And so a lot of the trash that I've enjoyed is in the genre. I mean, fair. You know what you like. You know what trash you like and you seek it out. I think there is something to be said for that. <laughs> All right, so my pick in the drama romance category is none other than Domestic Girlfriend. I'm actually surprised by that. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'll get into that in a second. To be fair, I actually don't know which one Domestic Girlfriend is <laughs> from Girlfriend, Girlfriend, or what's the other one? Rent-A-Girlfriend. There's so many random girlfriend ones. Yeah, so this was the first one that came out out of those three, and I know that because I watched all three of them for some fucking reason. Is this the one where he, like... <laughs> has sex with a girl, and then she becomes his sister or something like that? Yeah, it is. Oh, there we go. Okay. <laughs> All right. So maybe to clear up a little bit of the confusion for Ravi, what is Domestic Girlfriend about? So in Domestic Girlfriend, we follow our protagonist, Natsuo Fuji, who is deeply in love with his cheery high school teacher named Hina. Deflated by his unreachable desire, as all young men are, he goes out and meets a girl named Rui at a mixer and decides, you know what? I'll sleep with her. And so he does that after they bond over their mutual awkwardness. Doesn't As she actually initiate that encounter? I don't, actually don't remember. <laughs> I, I feel like for some reason... Did you even watch she it? Wants, I actually watched the first episode for... <laughs> I, I don't know. I think this was before our first impressions, right? This came out before 2020. This came out before we had a podcast, yeah. Yeah, I don't know why I watched the first episode then. But then I immediately was like, what the fuck is going on? There's no way I'm watching this. <laughs> so... Unfulfilled by his first time, as most people are, Natsuo is then greeted by his father who drops a major bombshell on him. He's getting remarried and his new wife is coming over to meet Natsuo. To his shock, she arrives with both of her daughters, which are Natsuo's new sisters, of course, and they are none other than Hina and Rui. Now Natsuo has to come to terms with his feelings for both of his new step-siblings, the one that he slept with in a one-night stand and the high school teacher that he's in love with. So 
I don't watch much anime YouTube anymore, but a few years ago when Domestic Girlfriend came out and I did, Gigak was championing the show to infinity and beyond. He is <laughs> yeah. like the king of Domestic Girlfriend. He mentioned it on multiple videos. He gave it its own video where he talked only about the series. And I think actually a little bit after that, he even met the mangaka. And so all those things together actually just got me to watch it because I found the video funny. And in fact, I watched it because- You say that like you're sad. You're like, <laughs> oh man, I find it. Oh, I guess I found it funny. <laughs> in fact, my girlfriend and I started watching anime together long distance yeah, over COVID. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> and we actually alternated between watching intentionally good and then intentionally bad series. And this was the first- No, inten you didn't. No, we did. I'm 100% I'm serious. This is, this is a true story. <laughs> and so this is the first- specific trash show that we got through watching together and the amount of spice and entertainment that it delivered was never able to be recaptured by other spice that we tried to watch other trash that we tried to watch and that means that i still think back to the show really really fondly what else did you watch uh we did watch rent a girlfriend <laughs> oh my god you just went through all the fucking girlfriends and then we watched promise neverland season two oh, I, okay. I will not say if that was in the intentionally good or bad category <laughs> yeah but did you do that knowing how it ended no that one we actually like found out as we were watching it the other two were intentionally bad we watched some, can i some add other some trash picks show. to this list <laughs> that you, you can't both watch i together? mean i mean i don't know if we're gonna like do this again but oh, rip <laughs> We'll take your recommendations, but we need trash. Don't worry. So is Domestic Girlfriend actually good? No, <laughs> it's not good. The narrative continually has characters making annoying and unrealistic decisions. Natsuo is fucking bland and stagnant as a main character. Hina and Rui at least kind of try to paint these like portrayals of flawed women, but they just don't land or really go anywhere. But that's not the reason that I watched Domestic Girlfriend. I knew it was going to be really bad, and I wanted a series that would continually make me go, oh shit, with its dramatic twists. And it definitely fucking delivered on that. Let me just list a few of the things that happened. I guess you can skip this if you're going to watch it, but it's not really spoilers. Characters just constantly make out with each other. Put your headphones back on. I need your reaction to this. <laughs> Characters constantly making out with each other in places they shouldn't be. A suppository getting shoved up a girl's bum. Likening, likening dating to double suicides, stalking characters to get them to break up with their partner, masturbating to the name of their ex that they just had an affair with. <laughs> I just Sis I saw that on the fucking one of the Giga episodes, I think. <laughs> Sisters fighting over their stepbrother. This series, it fucking has it all. <laughs> I, I think I remember from his video that in the very first episode, not only does he have sex with this person, but then he also is fucking jerking it or she's jerking it or someone's jerking it to like <laughs> their step-sibling now. It's, it's fucking wild. And that for me, honestly, just the, the actual level of spice that you would expect in like a telenovela or something like that, but like transported to anime form is what sets it apart from shows like Rent-A-Girlfriend or Nagatoro or Girlfriend-Girlfriend, which are these similar kind of romantic comedy shows that also kind of go for like spicy premises, but which all have characters that I like a lot less, premises that I have a harder time getting behind, and just less oh shit moments in their plot developments that are really kind of the selling point for keeping you engaged in a trashy show like this. As a fucking side note, the opening, Kawaki Wo Ameku, is 
a fucking banger. It has no business being in the show, like, at all, but it's really, really good. And even if you're not going to watch the show, you should go check that out. I will actually watch this show at some point. <laughs> I, I know sure? that, like, given how fucking spicy it is, I, I definitely have to give it a chance. It also makes me want to say that we should do this intermittent good show, bad show thing because <laughs> I really want to watch School Days with you. <laughs> when I actually Googled before this episode, like, top trash anime just to see what other people picked, School Days was up there for a lot of people. I think School I Days is, sense. like, the pinnacle of... And, and this is, like, bad trash anime, like, not redeeming trash anime. Yeah. Like, School Days... I, l- let me check what it has on Mal. <laughs> I will say one more follow-up before you get to that on Domestic Girlfriend is that the manga actually ended and continued far beyond just the season of anime. Obviously, this was not popular enough to get a continuation. So I actually went and like, (laughs) God. So I actually went and looked up like what happened in the end. And I don't want to spoil that for people, but it is just as trashy and horrible and out of nowhere as you would fucking expect. And I think it's great. (laughs) Seriously. Does he fucking like end up with the mom? Like, Do Do you want me to spoil it for you? Yeah, actually, go for it. Okay, so if you're actually going to read Domestic Girlfriend... does it have anything to do with the actual two girls? Yeah. Oh, okay. Naturally. Well, I thought you were going to say he actually ends up with a mom or something. Are like you going to read them? Are you going to read the manga? I wa- let, me, let me watch season one, and then you can spoil <laughs> the ending for me. Okay. Because this is going to be another fucking, like, devil is a part-timer situation where I'm like, oh, man, this is interesting. Let's watch more of this, and there's then so fucking much, season two comes there's out. There's so much Domestic Girlfriend content, I highly doubt. It's also multiple years of rude. I would be, I would be so shocked... <laughs> It is not, like, beloved in the way that Devil is a Part-Timer was. I would be really surprised, but, yeah, it could always happen. Blue Lock just got season two. But Blue Lock's and popular. <laughs> I mean, I guess. Also, it wasn't Domestic Girlfriend somewhat popular. I, I think Giguk was the, the main reason for driving up some, some popularity for it. But anyway, Regardless, what was the, what was the school, school day score? Has a 5.53. Oh, my God. That is, like... Fucking nuclear disaster levels of mal ratings. Like that's so great. It's rare. Like I think X Arm is the only show that I've seen that has a lower fucking score on mal. That's great. School days deep dive coming at coming and at maybe you soon. the Province of Neverland season two because people were so mad. That was so bad. All right, let's move on to the fantasy category. What have you got cooking? Yeah, so you probably expected this. But I had a really hard time with this one. And that's because there's so much isekai to choose from. How do you expect me to pick the best of the trashiest genre that I really enjoy? And so I kind of took your note on this one and picked one in hipster style that was actually important for the genre. I eventually settled on a show that's not only enjoyable for me to watch, but that was historically significant for the rise of isekai. And that's the familiar of Zero. I talked at length about the origins of the isekai boom and the important role the familiar of Zero played in our isekai episode. So if you're interested, go check out that app. But for those of you that don't want to listen to me ramble for like two hours about isekai, I'll give you a quick rundown here. The Familiar of Zero was originally a light novel by Noboru Yamaguchi that came out in 2004. It tells the story of Luis, a student at Tristane Magic Academy, who, when trying to summon a magical creature as her companion, ends up accidentally summoning Saito, an ordinary teenage boy from Japan. 
Saito is initially treated like a slave by Luis, but as they spend more time and go through numerous trials with each other, they have this Stockholm syndrome. No, their relationship develop it <laughs> develops deepens from master and servant to friends to lovers. Now, as I said, the natural progression was, <laughs> clearly. You can see it. If you want more, you can go watch Shield Hero. We have another example of that. <laughs> now, as I said, this show was deeply influential in the rise of modern isekai, and that's because it had a malleable setting and the premise of summoning a character into a fantasy world that other writers could use for the foundation of their own stories. And many, many fanfic writers did just that. They retold the story of the familiar of Zero, but with Luis summoning a character from another series or just summoning the author as a means of self-insert. And these fanfics found their home on the website Shosetsuka Ninaro, or Naro for short, which was originally created for amateur authors to post their original web novels. But it quickly became overwhelmed with this deluge of the familiar of Zero fanfictions. As the fanfic community and their stories evolved, we saw the source material for some of the most popular modern isekai emerge, ReZero, Konosuba, Overlord, and of course, Mushoku Tensei. And so we see how this is still a thriving genre that owes a lot of its popularity to a show that many fans, many new fans, will probably never even hear of, much less watch. But to be fair, that's probably okay, because the familiar <laughs> Zero is not that good. It doesn't have any one thing that it does exceptionally well. And as I said in the introduction, that's the definition of trash anime for me. The characters are kind of one-dimensional, the setting and plot are pretty generic, and the art will definitely feel a bit dated because the anime came out soon after the light novel in 2006. But despite all of these things, I still had a really good time watching the show. I fucking love the Sundere archetype, and Luis plays very deeply into that. Like, she's very reminiscent of another Sundere I love, which is Taiga from Toradora. Saito is a horny motherfucker, but he still has a good amount of autonomy in the show, and his actions help to deepen his relationship with Luis, which is gratifying to watch considering how many MCs just kick themselves in the fucking face. Like, for example, in Urusa Yatsura. We stand an independent horn dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even though the setting is generic, it still has some political intrigue that kept me hanging onto the plot. Things like... Even he, even a realist hero, re, I don't forget what the fuck is the name of this. Like how a re, realist hero rebuilt the kingdom. Some I don't know some guy. other garbage show. Like a lot of the more modern isekai that I watch have this political intrigue element, and this is what really keeps me watching them. And I love that. And the familiar of zero definitely has some elements there. I 100% get why this series served as a basis for the fanfic community. It's super easy to self-insert into and to see yourself in a fantasy narrative, and that's a huge part about why I liked it too. When did you actually watch it? This was pretty early into when I started watching anime. It must so you have discovered been like, it like as you were discovering your love for Isekai. Yeah, this that's must have been in yeah. like 2013 or 2014. It was like pretty early on. Yeah. All right, so as you mentioned... Fantasy, when it comes to trash, is basically the isekai category. Like, I think it is actually hard to pick things outside of isekai. And so I, too, wanted to challenge myself to pick an isekai. The problem is I haven't seen that many isekai. So that made I don't it a little know why difficult. they can't change. And this is the category and the pick that 
I don't know if you're going to be upset or not because I don't know if you're going to agree that it's actually trash. And I think that'll be an interesting discussion whether you agree or not. But I picked... This is too close to our music episode for me to get angry again. <laughs> That's also true. <laughs> We're so mellowed out now. <laughs> and I picked No Game, No Life as my trash. <laughs> He's a guy pick. I feel like every time you pick one of these fucking ridiculous picks, my blood pressure spikes, and then I have to be like, it's all right. Just calm down. <laughs> the trash taste is actually on your side of the screen right now, not on mine. I, I don't think you'll be mad because I do actually like No Game, No Life. That's literally why it's here. I do enjoy it. I think I have reasons to call it trashy that you would probably just think it's a pretty good show. I think that's the only other reason I'm okay with it right now because you still enjoyed it. If I you do came like to it. me and you said <laughs> that it was not a good show and you didn't enjoy it, I'd be like, are you fucking kidding me? So I thought you might not be as mad because you picked prison school. Like after I heard that pick, I was like, okay, like I know you, well, okay. For the base on this episode, you would say prison school is trashy for a lot of its elements. I think you still think it is good overall yeah, if you I mean, like I the think specific food wars is amazing yeah if you like, like the specific niche of things it's going for that's kind of how i feel about no game no life so then i thought maybe you might not be as mad but as, as a quick aside before we get into no game no life what other isekai did you actually consider for this i mean there are fucking so many I... okay which ones that you genuinely enjoy <sighs> you're gonna I don't want... out myself like this <laughs> We can so cut this. <laughs> one of them that I did really enjoy. Okay, so you know what? I haven't actually picked any very recent ones. And so I will give you, for example, How a Realist Hero Rebuilt the Kingdom. I really enjoy that one for its political intrigue. On the opposite end, an older show I watched, which I feel like if anybody has seen the show, they're going to fucking give me so much hate for it. Infinite Stratos <laughs> is another fantasy show that yeah. sucks in every sense of the word it has terrible fucking characters terrible animation terrible fucking plot lines but it was just so much fun to watch and i don't know why the harem was like really fun to watch the art style was great for the character designs and so i liked that part of it but there's like innumerable fucking isekai that i could have put on here gate gate wasn't like that good in any way I, I can't put Log Horizon on here because Log Horizon is actually a good show yeah. and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, but like I said, really like fucking Gate's not that good, but I had a great time watching it. Um, I could I could go on forever. You should stop <laughs> me. All right. Let's get, let's get into No Game, No Life. We could hash out maybe how much you like it and how much I liked it, but still thought it was trash. I could have put SAO on here, but then <laughs> you we could talked have put about SAO. SAO so much that I was I like, no, nah, yeah. I can't do that. I also could have put SAO in here, but I enjoyed No Game, No Life a lot more than SAO, so... Yeah, but that's because No Game No Life is actually good, which is why I'm still annoyed at you. Because okay, like well, okay, this okay, show <laughs> serves as the baseline for like so many people's love of anime. Uh, all right. So before we get into talking about if it's actually good or not, what is No Game No Life about? So 16 sentient races inhabit Discord, which always fucks me up. I want to say Discord now every single time, but it's not that. It's Discord, which is a world overseen by the one true god Tet and where everything is decided through simple games. The lowest of these races is Imanity, which always also fucks me up. It's not humanity for some fucking reason. It's just Imanity. Can you explain that to me? <laughs> I'm surprised you're not actually starting off with the girl's panty shot. With oh, we're getting like there. We're getting there. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. And so the people of Imanity have no affinity for magic and therefore no way to create a better life for themselves and for their race in Discord. On Earth, meanwhile... Inseparable step-siblings, Sora and Shiro, dominate various online games under the username Blank. 
when I they are su- step siblings. Yeah, when <laughs> when they are suddenly transported to Discord, they begin to search for information and encounter Stephanie Dola, who is vying for the kingdom of Elkia's sovereignty. That's the main kingdom of humanity. She was so fucking annoying. <laughs> okay, so I actually think as Ravi does that a lot of people are going to disagree with me that no game, no life is trashy. And ultimately, that's probably because I do enjoy the series, but not in a way that I think I can confidently say that it's just straight up good. I think everybody knows that I'm not a huge fan of Isekai to begin with, and specifically the focus that the genre tends to give to shut-ins suddenly becoming overpowered in another world just doesn't really speak to me. And so when you mix that in with a color palette that I can only describe as visually arresting, like, I can't say the color palette in No Game No Life is nice to look at. It's just certainly a choice, and I can respect the choice, but it is a lot. And then on top of that, two main protagonists that absolutely can't lose, so the only intrigue is in, like, how they win, but there's never any tension about whether they're going to lose any of the games or not. Constant lowbrow humor and excessive fan service with incestuous underage relationships. And that's, I think, altogether why I feel comfortable saying that no game no life is trash and more so than that i have to have an isekai they're step siblings (laughs) okay so i want to contest some of those points (laughs) because the color palette is one of those things that i think made this show unique and defined a lot of people's love of the animation i think that animation nowadays is too often equated to color palette too many people think that good animation means that you have a bright fluorescent color palette so many random shows coming out nowadays and like the fucking saturation is turned up to a fucking thousand and they're like oh my god the animation is so good no that's not what animation is you could look at the actual movement of the characters on screen or the direction or the cinematography those things are more important than how bright your color palette is and so i think that Saying that No Game, No Life's color palette ruined it for you, I think is... I don't think it ruined it for me. I actually didn't have that much of a problem with the color palette. I just think it is... It's jarring. I don't... I... Yeah, I think it's jarring. That's that's actually a good way to describe it. And I think it is very much like a either you you like it or you really don't like it kind of decision. Like, I know my partner, for example, like way before we even met, tried to watch it and like just couldn't do the color palette. It was actually just like the same two people. (laughs) I like No Game, No Life. (laughs) Does she not? I don't think she would like it at all. (laughs) I I do agree with that. I I think that when they introduce that girl who's like the princess to the kingdom, she is basically the fire force girl of this anime. Yeah, she really is. She is just there for fan service and doesn't really contribute to the plot at all besides being the object of the fan service. I mean, literally a lot of those moments. Literally one of the running jokes is that they call her a Steph, which they just use as code name, even though it's her actual name, they just use as a code word for idiot. And they're like, yeah, you're just being a Steph. I actually think that's a really funny joke. (laughs) In the <laughs> I thought you were gonna be like, I think that's fucking bullying. I Which mean, it is. is. It is. <laughs> They're super mean to her, but it's funny. <laughs> what? All and so, right. like, all those things together, like you mentioned, the opening shot is just a fucking lewd panty shot of that is irredeemable. I think it's just kind of hard to get behind like that level of constant gratuitous fan service of, especially like a lolly character. So I think. All of those things together are why I think it's trash. As you said at the beginning, if we go through all the categories of like 
what we look for in anime, whether it's plot or character development or like, you know, intrigue and setting and world building and all these other things, animation, whatever. No Game No Life does do some of those things well, like the comedy and a few of the other parts. The world, I think, is pretty interesting. The concept's cool. But the rest of the stuff is not really there. And then on top of that, you have all of the like irredeemable aspects of it. And so that's why I ended up picking it here, despite really liking the show. So let, let me actually say the things that I liked about the show. And then you can tell me that I'm stupid. So, <laughs> so I found the show entertaining. And I would, as most other people, despite me calling it trash, totally welcome the second season that we're never going to get. I think the premise for the world of Discord is really interesting in and of itself. There's a really deep lore there that is explored a bit in the Zero prequel movie. And we'd probably get a lot more of that if we ever got to see more of it. And the idea that a fantasy world operates purely on games and the outcome of those games is actually really fun just to watch. While Sora and Shiro solve every situation they're in with not that much difficulty, it's still pretty entertaining to watch them do that and watch them just succeed in relatively clever ways, despite there not being that much tension there. And they do play a lot of various types of games that are pretty fun to watch. So I think all those things together, like the cool concept, still enjoying some of the humor, enjoying actually watching the concept play out in the various games, just made it a show that I really like and that I would be excited for a second season, even though Ravi will never get it. The anime gods will not give it to him. You don't know that. But I still enjoyed it. <laughs> I think this show, much like SAO, is like the optimal gamer self-insert. Totally. If and I also don't games, have that, admittedly. So that is another kind of... Yeah. yeah. So if, if you were ever invested in games as a kid, or if you're still a kid and your like, frontal cortex is not developed, you'll probably <laughs> love this show. And I think that for a lot of reasons, I disagree with you. But for a lot of reasons, I also do agree with you that this show has many, many aspects that are not redeeming. The characters have almost no development. The panty shots of like a fucking six-year-old girl is just really questionable. It just doesn't need to be there. Yeah, and <laughs> some of the some of the plot lines, some of the games, the ways they're solved, are entertaining. And some of them are like really like yeah. Is that the ending of it? It's a lot like I think we talked about this when we actually when we talked about. Hyoka a while ago where like mysteries are optimally set up when if you really really are following closely you could figure out the premise for yourself and Hyoka sometimes does that and sometimes doesn't I think it's kind of similar here like the fact that they can solve every game is cool and it's fun to watch and sometimes it is clever and you can figure it out if you're paying attention and other times it's just like okay well they just did that and I would never have figured that out myself right now but that being said I think saying that this show relies too heavily on OP protagonists is fair, but that's also an entire genre of it like, is. shonen. <laughs> yeah, and that's so, like, totally true. I mean, people have subverted that. Like, One Punch Man, that's the definition of subversion of the OP protagonist. And here, I think it's done relatively well because you care more about what the mystery is and how it's going to be solved rather than the surprise of the character solving it. Yeah. Well, maybe one day we'll get more and we'll see if the second season continues to be trash or is actually good. I feel like I didn't really disagree with you here. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, I think I think you actually agree with the assessment. You just wouldn't put the trash label on it, which I think is fair. Depends what day you ask me. <laughs> okay, well, I'll ask you another day and see if it changes. <laughs> All right, give me your pick for science fiction. What etchy do we have? <laughs> is Why there science fiction so etchy? Well. <laughs> there is actually a lot of science fiction etchy. Is it Rin, Daughters of Minosine? 
I don't know if that's sci-fi. Actually, no, it is sci-fi because it has some. Like, I think you time picked it in aspects. your. I think you picked it in sci-fi for your underrated. Yeah, the thing is, sci-fi is such a broad genre. It's like, really broad. Yeah. Anything that has like any elements where you could have like extraterrestrial life, time yeah. travel, like futuristic technology is just edgy. Like edgy is sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> It's all edgy. My my brain is one track here. <laughs> oh, it's so good. All right. This is like the meme of the guy staring at the earth and there's a gun behind him. Yeah, like, it's, it's all, all edgy. edgy. <laughs> it always was. <laughs> I'm going to make that meme after this. Post it on the fucking Twitter pages. Oh, it's all so right. Good. This is going to be a bit out of left field, I think. But in my early days of edgy... I came across a show that, yes, had a central harem romance and a good deal of fan service, but also surprised me by how much it developed the characters and cared about its production, despite what we've come to expect from the genre. And that show was Heaven's Lost Property. So I'm going... (laughs) You're giving me the blanks there. This is like Hug and I again or whatever it was. (laughs) What did you say the name of the show was? Heaven's Lost Property. Okay. So I'm going to preface this by saying that the synopsis of this show is not going to do it justice. Heaven's Lost Property follows Tomoki Sakurai, a, let's just say, somewhat lecherous teenage boy whose dream in life is to meet an angel. His unlikely dream comes true when one day he witnesses a strange object falling from the sky. Upon closer inspection, Tomoki finds that the object is a winged humanoid girl named Ikaros who imprints onto Tomoki and begins to call him Master. And as the show goes on, we learn more about the mysterious girl and the world she's from, and also deepen the relationship between Tomoki and Ikaros. So like I said, the synopsis doesn't do the show justice. I think if you can get past the fan service and sexual comedy, this show is actually really quite cute and has a surprisingly emotional climax. You would never expect it from the first few episodes, but I think this show is a hidden gem for character development. And the reason I say you wouldn't expect it is because like in the second episode, like they're able to make fucking panties fly and like that is an entire <laughs> gag for the episode. So just ignore that part of it and just believe me that the emotional climax <laughs> is real. Watching Tomoki mature throughout the show and build a relationship with Ikaros was super gratifying and made the climax feel real as opposed to the contrived plots we get in most harem romances. And I mentioned the production quality. The animation for this show is very good, although I will admit it has aged a bit. And the soundtrack is even better. If you do nothing else, please listen to some of the songs on this soundtrack. The endings and background tracks are honestly amazing, and many of them have found their way onto my ambient study playlist. I think it means a lot if you can hear a song and then recognize where it's from and how it made you feel when you initially listened to it, and that's what quite a few of the songs in Heaven's Lost Property do for me. I think overall, your ability to enjoy the show will hinge on whether or not you can put aside the sexual humor and fan service, and if you can do that, you might actually find a good show where you least expected it. So I meant to ask you this at the end, but maybe I'll just ask now because your whole list is etchy and fan service-y in some way. Do you think there's anything inherent about like including fan service or etchy elements in a series that then make it more trashy just by virtue of having that? 
or like, I guess, what is the reason that those things are often correlated, I would say. And it's not always the case. Like, I'm sure we can think of examples like Kill a Kill or like Monogatari where there's some fan service, but like, it's not kind of the main point and there's still other really good aspects to those series. But why is it the case that those two are often intertwined? Yeah, you kind of mentioned this. I don't think it's causal. I think it's just heavily correlated. And that's because of probability. There are so many shows coming out that rely heavily on fan service just so that they can hit their target demographic. That I think that because of the probability of having a show that has high fan service also being a show with low production quality or low value is just too high. And so the entire genre gets maligned because everybody's like, oh, is etchy? Oh, there's fan service in this? It must not be good. And there are, as you said, shows that break that mold. There are some very, very good shows. You mentioned one of them that you particularly like, Kill the Kill. It's heavy on the fan service, but it also has many other redeeming qualities. I would like to see more of that. I enjoy the fan service aspects because I think that sexual content is a huge part of people's enjoyment of media, and I think that's just human. I wish that so many of the shows didn't have shitty plots and shitty characters and terrible elements. Like, two of the shows I've mentioned so far have, like, fucking slavery in them. And I'm like, can we just not have that in a show, maybe? And, like, have a unique or interesting plot? Yeah, I guess also if you know your target demographic is going to be satisfied by the fan service in and of itself, then why kind of bother with the other aspects of the series, right? And I think that's probably part of the problem that you're kind of alluding to. And also you mentioned just having sexual content. I think that's super different than having fan service that is over the top. And you often in anime get the latter and not the former. And there are very few shows that I can think of that just include sexual elements, but not in a fan service way and kind of just like a characters exist and they do sexual things kind of way. And so, yeah, I would like to see a lot of the former as well. I think a lot of this also comes down to where the material is getting adapted from. Most anime are not original, and therefore most anime have some type of source material. And it feels like the threshold to get something adapted nowadays is so fucking low. Yeah. And, and I don't even know how that's possible because there's so much money that goes into every anime being produced. Like, you need a ton of people's time, a ton of effort. And why are studios devoting time to producing the most garbage stuff? And, like, this comes from a person who loves isekai. The majority of the isekai being produced, even I don't watch. Most of the shit that comes out every season, we don't watch because most of it's rated like a fucking six or below. Which this is, is always again, what I'm saying. Like, garbage. who is who is watching like the bottom of the barrel seasonal stuff? Like, actually, who is watching it? I do not know, but somebody is clearly. But I think a part of it and the reason that the industry is the way it is, especially with isekai, is because a lot of the source material came from fanfics. Like, these are not really polished stories. These are not stories that rely heavily upon people caring about the overarching plot or developing their characters. It's for people that are reading this as a quick way to get off to their favorite characters or their favorite stories, right? And when those are adapted, yeah, you're going to have huge narrative problems, which is why there's so many fucking garbage isekai coming out. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Anything else to say about Heavens Whatever? Fuck you. (laughs) Go watch this show. (laughs) All right, so my sci-fi pick is a franchise called... No, it's not Psychopaths. (laughs) Is a franchise called A Certain Magical Index. Oh, did I tell you I started watching this? Really? Yeah. Like recently? Uh, No, like a few months ago. 
And then I had to start watching the first impressions episode, so I put it down. Okay. Did you like the first few episodes you saw? Yeah, I did. It was really fun. Okay. The girl is kind of annoying. She seems very tsundere, yeah, but yeah. that's going to grow on me. I can already tell. <laughs> okay. So what is Index about? So Index is a light novel franchise that has various anime adaptations. I'll, I'll list them all in a second. But the premise is that Academy City is located in Japan and at the forefront of science, where a large portion of the city's population consists of students developing their psychic abilities at espers at various institutions. Among them is Toma Kamijo, who has the lowest psychic rank of zero, despite having a power that no scientist can understand. The power is called Imagine Breaker, and it allows him to negate other supernatural abilities. One day, Toma meets the strange Index Librorum Prohibitorum. I think I said that right. A young girl who has memorized the entirety of the Forbidden Grimoires and is being hunted by a dangerous organization consisting of several magicians. So as I mentioned, Index is a light novel adaptation of a large franchise that consists of the main Index series, which has three two core seasons. That's a lot of anime. It also has a Railgun spinoff, which has three one core seasons, and an Accelerator spinoff, which is one one core season. Each of these shift the perspective towards different espers and their role in Academy City and the larger world of Index. And the world is what I think is the coolest part about Index as a franchise. It has a premise that mixes abilities based on science that are actually pretty creative and they're used in very inventive ways, whether it's Misaka manipulating electricity, whether it's Accelerator manipulating vectors. Like that's a very odd ability for basically what is a battle shonen character to have, and it works really, really well. Kuroko using teleportation. All of these kind of scientific-based, quote-unquote, powers are implemented in ways that actually make sense in the real world, and I really, really appreciate that. And then you combine that with a magical system that is based on powers derived from religious organizations and history in the real world. And that's actually pretty compelling as a premise, that you're going to have all of these kids developing Esper abilities based on science, and that's going to clash with all of these broader institutions and these supernatural abilities, and they're going to have to fight each other. As a premise, that just sounds cool. The main problem with Index and why I personally label it as trash is a combination of a bunch of different factors. So one, I know the source is pretty well liked, but it has some horribly dated tropes from the mid-2000s. And as one of those like cliche mid-2000s power fantasies, it just doesn't really hold up that much anymore. I don't think something like Index would get like 60 or whatever episodes it has. And that's just a sign of the industry changing quite a bit. Secondly, Toma is maybe the least interesting part of the franchise. He's a relatively bland MC with a negation power that just isn't that compelling to follow compared to a lot of the other Esperos and their much cooler abilities. And especially when you pair him with a loud lolly nun who just wants to be fed at all times. Like half of it is just him taking care of her, which just kind of gets old to watch. I have to say like negation abilities are really fucking boring. If you're writing a shonen, don't use those. <laughs> Do something else. You're like railing <laughs> like all of Shield Hero right now. <laughs> three, I think the adaptation by JC Staff is just not that good. And in particular, season three is really, really bad. It's rushed to the point that none of the plot makes sense. Like I don't think any fan of this franchise can make any sense of what happened in season three. And everybody claimed that that was because they were just rushing to get to the later on material in the light novels that is supposedly very, very good. But we've never gotten that. So, <laughs> so it's hard to actually say 
that that is the case. And JC staff generally kind of tends to put what seems like their weaker team behind Index, and that leads to a lot of the animation and the fights, which should be more compelling, not being as compelling as they are. And I think lastly, the best part of this franchise is actually not the mainline franchise and in Index, it's actually Railgun. And seemingly that's where JC staff has put all of its effort because the animation, the pacing, all those elements far exceed what the mainline series has to offer. I genuinely really, really like Railgun and I definitely recommend it. It has a much more fun main cast to follow, a much more fun protagonist. It mixes in a little bit of slice of life. So you have to be kind of more invested in that aspect of it, but it just is much more compelling and much more well adapted. So is that original content? No, there's a spin-off manga, I think, and it's adapting the, the spin-off manga, yeah. So ultimately, I think Index is what I could only describe as an exceedingly generic anime that is a fun watch because it has a really, really cool world and a really cool idea behind it. Some of the fights are okay, and the connections to Railgun are cool. Like, it is genuinely cool to watch Index, see an event happen from Toma's perspective in, like, two episodes, and then go to Railgun and see an entire arc devoted to that same sequence of events from a different character's perspective. And that generally is a narrative technique that I really enjoy. So there are a lot of different aspects of Index and of specifically Railgun and kind of the broader franchise that I like. But Index as itself is just like really, really bland. And so if you want like a mid 2000s power fantasy, that's like the niche that it fills and kind of why I enjoyed it anyways. You're weaving some like fate level of franchise things into this. It, it is a large franchise. <laughs> you know, at some point I considered reading the light novels. <laughs> Have you read a light novel? Yeah, I've read a decent, a few volumes of Spice and Wolf, and I've read the first few volumes of Origairu, and I've read a decent amount of Monogatari, so a little bit. Nothing stopping you. Nothing stopping me. I could, but I got to put off hold all the ones I just mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> I will definitely pick this show back up again. I had a lot of fun watching the first few episodes. I had to put it down because we had like 10 shows to watch this past season or the season before that. All seasons. <laughs> Basically every season, yeah. And so this kind of fell off and I just haven't picked it back up because there's a daunting amount of anime to also watch for that. Yeah. But I kind of like that. And so when I get some downtime where I'm like, hey, I'm in the mood for something long, it's either going to be that or it's going to be Gintama. Two very different lengths. Very different. Very different lengths, very different tone and very different style. But actually, that's exactly what happened is I wanted kind of a a show to like sink into for a while. And so that's why I watched the entire franchise, basically. And I don't regret it. I don't know if I'd strongly recommend it. I might just recommend people watch Railgun instead. But do you even believe yourself right now? <laughs> All right. Finally, we have arrived at the last category, our wildcard pick, which can be from any genre. What do you got? So this is a show that I was actually slotting around in a number of different categories here. And then I was like, you know what? I can probably find better ones for every category. I'll just put this in wildcard. I assume you knew that many of my trash shows were going to be in some way touching on Etchy. I think yes. I've delivered on that. <laughs> you have abundantly <laughs> <laughs> but when we did the etchy episode i neglected to go through my entire history with the genre i remember you asking me about that and then being kind of annoyed that i didn't go through my entire history yeah i really wanted it <laughs> and i said it would come out naturally as we did more episodes and you're gonna actually get some of that here this is the best part of the episode instantly. <laughs> <laughs> this is not the best part i mean we already fucking talked about food wars <laughs> 
So I think I've said before that High School DxD was my real foray into ecchi because it is firmly within that genre and it was billed to me as the epitome of the genre. But before I watched High School DxD, I actually made my way through quite a few harem romance comedies that didn't have the level of fan service that one would normally associate with an ecchi, but that were definitely further along the continuum than a standard shonen. Something probably a fucking normie like you would still be a little uncomfortable with. <laughs> and I think this exploration of the harem romance genre started with a show called The World God Only Knows. That name sounds familiar. Why do I recognize that name? I've probably talked to you about this before because I love this show. So when I was in my youth and was scouring the interwebs for recommendations, I actually came across a video by Tristan or as he's known online, Arcada, on his channel, Glass Reflection. He was actually a guest on the podcast, so go listen to that episode if you'd like. And even though he gave it a lukewarm review, I think he gave it like a stream it, so you would give them like stream it, buy it, or just fuck it all together. And he <laughs> gave it a stream it, which meant that it was above his normal threshold, but still below the like, oh, you should own this. I'm sure he verbatim said fuck it all together. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I forget what his actual thing was. I just remember it being a big red logo. <laughs> And even though he gave it that lukewarm review, I was interested enough to go and check it out. And I am super glad I did, because I had a lot of fun watching the show. The show follows Kema Katsuragi, an otaku and master of dating sims, who's somewhat questionably known as, and I don't know why fucking harems and etchies do this, it just makes it so hard to like them. He's known as the god of conquest. I just saw the name on the bell. <laughs> synopsis of where he said that. That's so good. <laughs> because he can woo any 2D girl. And he much <laughs> prefers the relationships with these girls than with their 3D <laughs> counterparts. So one day, Kama is presented with an anonymous challenge to prove his supremacy at dating sims and in no game, no lifestyle, he accepts. However, this action binds him to a cute demon from hell named Elsie, whose responsibility it is to recapture evil spirits who have escaped from hell and taken up residence, as one would expect, within teenage girls. To help with Elsie's mission, it gets even better. To help with Elsie's mission, Kama finds out that the only way he can capture these spirits is by making the girls whose bodies they're inhabiting fall in love with him. Now, I fully realize this plot sounds stupid. And that's because, in all ways, this plot is stupid. But that being said, I had a great time watching this show. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to erase he can woo any 2D girl from my memory. <laughs> Isn't that what you live for? Isn't no. this like literally your job? <laughs> you just collect them. You don't woo them, I guess. Exactly, yes. I loved this show. Each season is organized into multiple arcs where Kema has to woo one of the girls, and I really enjoyed watching him form relationships with each of these characters. My favorite part of romance shows, and this has to be true for most people, I'm assuming, the part of the show you enjoy is the part where you're seeing the romance develop. Like, that is the reason that you watch romantic shows. And in here, we get that in quick succession. What happens in this show is that every three or four episodes, 
he succeeds in wooing the girl and we get introduced to a new girl. And so this is like rapid fire, like high dopamine right into my brain. It's like, oh man, romantic development. Great. Conquered. Romantic development. Great. Done. Keep moving on. It's like if Hori Mia ended after like the fourth episode and then yes. they were like, he's he's going for another one. Yeah. <laughs> Mia Mora, just... he found someone else. And so obviously this means that like the romantic and character development is not that deep. But if you're interested in emotional climaxes, you get one of those like every three or four episodes. <laughs> it's fucking lit. And so obviously, listen, there are some problematic elements. You've heard me talk about them. Motherfuckers named the God of Conquest as it is. And so like that element already in relationships is just not going to do it for a lot of people. I think that if you can pass that, there's a lot of redeeming qualities to this show. The production value is also surprisingly high. The animation is really cute. The music for the show is amazing. Just go listen, even if you're not going to watch the show at all. Please, just go listen to the openings and the endings. And I think, like, season one has a number of different endings for it, which are really cute because, like, you know, they have the seiyus sing as the characters and, like, other shit like that. But overall... Every one of the shows I've mentioned on this list, because they're trash shows, is for a niche community. This is one of those where if you can get over the problematic elements of conquest of women, which I understand many people will not be able to get over, if you can, if you can compartmentalize that, please watch this show. I hope you know that I'm only referring to you as the god of conquest from now on. <laughs> Fuck that, please. <laughs> Oh, None so of our good. friends need to hear that. Anyway, you 100% delivered on, on your trash picks. I have to say, kudos. <laughs> Pulled out some really bottom of the barrel stuff. I aim to please. <laughs> and the God of Conquest succeeds. <laughs> oh, fuck you. <laughs> okay, uh, so for my wildcard pick, I, I think zagged quite a bit in why I went with this as a trash decision, but hopefully I'll justify that in a second. And I picked actually a movie called Ride Your Wave. Do oh, you even okay. do you even know this movie? Yeah, I think we've I'm surprised. talked about it at some point. We have mentioned it and, and I'll get into why. But let me let me first say what Ride Your Wave's about. So, in Trans I will say I don't know shit about this movie. I just yeah. heard you mention it. Yeah. So, in Trance by Surfing in the Sea, Hinako Mukaimizu is a spirited girl who attends college in a coastal city. Her life takes a turn when a fireworks mishap sets her apartment building on fire and she's saved by a firefighter named Minato Hinageshi. Upon meeting, the two quickly start dating. Hinako is enamored by Minato's reliable personality and passion for saving others, and Minato is intrigued by learning how to surf. Yeah, he, he, he wants to learn how to surf. It's a fucking Yuasa <laughs> film, of course it is. So one day, a surfing accident completely changes her life, leading Hinako to contemplate her undecided future and begin her own journey of self-discovery. So you just spoiled the fact that it's a Yuasa movie. And I want to pose a question for you, which is, have you ever had the experience of a creator you really like making a movie that is out of their usual element, Fuck off. completely forgettable, and actually just bad? Fuck off. You no, have you had that? that. Have Are you, you kidding me? We watched Bell together, bro. Are you fucking serious? I meant other than Bell. <laughs> oh, yeah, other than this gaping, <laughs> obvious example. Like... <laughs> I like a lot of the major film directors, like Makoto Shinkai. I think he makes utterly fucking repeatable movies, but they're fun to watch. At the end of the day, my favorite director, 
I have such a hard time saying this, is still Hosoda, primarily because of Wolf Children. But his other films are slightly forgettable. Like, what is it, The Boy and the Beast? Yeah. That film is so forgettable because the ending reduces that to absolute trash in, like, not a good sense. And so, yes, I've definitely had that. You've had that with fucking Fire Hunter recently. Oh, God. At least that wasn't directed by Oshi. And, like, I haven't seen that much actually by Oshi. I think I've actually only seen Ghost in the Shell. So I know he's a legend in the community, but personally, he's not, like, a huge favorite. But Yuasa definitely is. And I just want, and I want this to be on record... I just want Naoko Yamada to direct the next season of Mushoku Tensei. Like, Yanni's <laughs> brain will actually break. I don't think that would ever happen. <laughs> so, this is basically the experience that I had with Ride Your Wave, which is a 2019 original movie directed by Masaki Yuasa Science Saru. I actually saw this in theaters very early on in my, like, quote-unquote serious anime career when I moved to New York and, like, really got into it and started watching stuff regularly and trying to catch any screenings that I possibly could that came to the city. And I remember just being so disappointed knowing that Masaki Yuasa had made this. I think I'd only seen a few of his works so far, and I think by now I've seen almost all of them. And this one definitely ranks near the bottom. I think trash is probably a harsh word for it because it doesn't quite fit with most of the rest of the things that we've talked about in this episode. But I think there's a special place for that just like one or two works made by a creator that you otherwise love that are just simply not good. And this is certainly Yuasa's not good movie. So why is this movie actually bad? I think it comes down to Masaki Yuasa's love for music and the ocean that like weirdly pops up in a bunch of his films, manifesting in what is essentially a bad version of a Makoto Shinkai movie that focuses on a pair of lovers with really, really weird supernatural elements. The characters simply do not have that much depth to them which makes the themes and the emotional payoffs that the story is going for fall pretty flat. That being said, it made my list because sometimes you do just want a pretty looking movie with good direction and this like bittersweet romance that you don't have to think too hard about. And this movie is a really good pick for that. And I think in our discussion of trash so far, one thing we haven't really talked about is that brand of like disposable trash where it's like, If you throw on a live action rom-com movie, you know those like Hallmark Channel movies or something like that, like those are not good. This is not Hallmark level, but you know the brand of movie that I'm talking about, even if it's kind of like a bigger name rom-com. It's like 80% of my watching, man. (laughs) 80% of my watching is disposable. And you know, it's not a good movie, but sometimes you just want like a romance that is going to make your heart warm in a certain way and you're just going to forget about immediately. This is the anime version of that. And I think there is like a place on a trash list for those shitty, forgettable rom-coms that look nice otherwise. So I think that coupled with it being a bad Yuasa movie is why it's here. Did it even make your Yuasa list? Like, I forget. No, it absolutely did not. He has so much good stuff, this would never make it. He's okay. He actually made one other really shitty movie that I watched recently, which is called Lou Over the Wall, but I actively do not like that one, so I couldn't (laughs) put it on here. That one also weirdly features music and the ocean in like a very strange combination. So for anybody that's seen that movie, you you know what I'm talking about with the fucking singing mermaid bullshit. It's, it's a weird movie. <laughs> All right. Anything you want to say about your picks to finalize? Any honorable mentions? Anything I mean, else? Again, 80% of my fucking watch list is an honorable mention right now. I think that 
those are some pretty good picks. Pretty I solid. got to yeah. learn a little bit more about what you think is actually trash, but actually good. <laughs> actually trash, but actually good. If you could pick one show that people will actually watch from your list, what are you picking? Oh, come on. That's hard. I feel like, I mean, obviously I would say something like Food Wars, but people are going to probably watch Food Wars anyway. So, Prison School. Mine's Prisma Ilya, for sure. Go watch, go watch fucking Prison <laughs> School. Prison School, uh, as with any show on my list, if you can get past the fucking etchy elements, the fan service elements, is genuinely a hilarious show. I mean, same thing for Prisma Ilya. You like, if you're gonna be completely turned off by the fan service and not like any of the other elements, then like there, there's a lot of not redeemable stuff there. But I think I've learned for you that <laughs> you're okay with fan service if like some other element of it either excels or Mamoru Oshii is directing it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a Mamoru Oshii etchy, but have you seen Ghost in the Shell? I mean. Is that really edgy? No, it's definitely not <laughs> edgy, but she is like jumping off a building naked. So. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of nudity and there's a conversation to be had, but we're saving that for a Mamoru Oshii dedicated episode. We're not doing that now. <laughs> All right. That's been it for our ultimate guide to trash anime. Hopefully you find at least one piece of trash that you two can hold dear from this episode. Let us know on our Discord or on Twitter or anywhere else what your favorite trash anime is and what would have made your list we'd love to hear some of your picks as well someone's gonna say something from monogatari and you're gonna shoot yourself (laughs) (laughs) it is what it is people can have their opinions (laughs) all right next episode we're gonna have the guest on as i mentioned so hopefully we'll don't say that that too soon (laughs) we'll have that rescheduled and all squared away if not you'll get another surprise episode that's also fun right (laughs) otherwise subscribe to the podcast anywhere you get your podcast out podcast spotify stitcher anywhere like that If you could leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that would really help out the show. Check out our website, bakobanter.com, or our Twitter at bakobanterpod. And I did not mention it at the beginning of the show because I said that I wouldn't do it anymore. But please, please join our Discord. We even shouted out various Discord members. We've had a lot of really fun conversations there. It's also been really heartwarming to see new people introduce themselves and then everybody that is active in the discord just saying hello and welcome and commenting on people's favorite anime it's just a very cute community and it's fun to talk about anime together so i just need more people to roast my takes (laughs) also that people roast us do you want to roast us do you want a place to roast us where we will respond and feel bad about our takes that is the place to do it (laughs) so you can find the invite link for that on our website or pinned on our twitter and otherwise that's been it for us catch y'all in the next one We've been the Bakumenter lads. I did that in reverse order, yeah, but you get I was the like, idea. Whoa, what's happening here? <laughs> We've been the Bakumenter lads, and we'll catch you all in the next one. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>